Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode we're calling Keeping It Classic, as we'll be talking about some old things that are new again, some new things that feel old, and some old things that we're celebrating in a new way because they have anniversaries. So, how's that for vague? No, but we actually do have a lot of stuff. The Like, for example, the NES, as we all know, is making a comeback with the Classic Edition, and there's new information to discuss about that. We have Ubisoft talking up Nintendo's next console, as they always do. It's classic Ubisoft. But what does it actually mean in terms of their support? We're going to talk about that. We have impressions of a game called Spherezor for the uh, Wii U on the eShop, which is a very throwbacky arcade-style game, but also brand new, so we're going to talk about that. And outside... Uh, oh, and I almost forgot... And the Nintendo 64 turned 20 just this past week here in the U.S., so we're going to be being a little nostalgic and reminiscing about that and why it's actually more significant than you may think, even 20, huh? now in huh. 2016. So yeah, we got all that, plus we got Pokemon, Sun and Moon news, a couple NX tidbits, some news on um, a new game from the Bit in the Bit Trip series, at least spiritually speaking, spiritual successor, uh, plus impressions of the first Skunk Bundle on the eShop, which is like, if we have Spheres or is like a good eShop game, we then had the first Skunk Bundle as a very confusing, I don't even know where to begin. So use the timestamps if you want to hear about that first. Otherwise, stick with us throughout. We have timestamps for everything today. Talk that interests you over at Mantown.com. But with that said, we might as well just jump right in. Yeah. So. So what's first? First up is probably the NES Classic Edition. This is like, we're hanging to the weekend, we're preparing the podcast topics, and then on the last possible day, on Friday, Nintendo's like, now seems like a good time to tell everyone some actual information about the NES Classics. Like, we already knew it had 30 NES games. We knew, you know, you get your Marios, your Mega Man, your Castlevania, your well, Zeldas. I mean, what didn't we know? Because, I mean, it, there can't be that much to reveal about well, it, right? Well, what we now know is how you'll be able to play them. Because, I mean, you would think, oh... I mean, it's just, you, it isn't just a text list of games? No, it's like, like it has a whole interface. It has multiple display modes. There's all sorts of extra little, like, things to make it a little... Like, it has a home menu. So, um, it seems like it's kind of like, oh, whatever, they're just adding a menu. But it really kind of shows, at least to me, how much effort Nintendo's putting into this. This isn't just a cheap, like, let's throw some virtual console games in a box. They're actually emulating the old NES games better than they ever do on virtual consoles. So, first up... There's actually three different modes of how the games will look. I don't know if you've been tracking this at all, but they're going to have um, a CRT mode that's literally going to make it look like they're playing on old tube TV. So have like scan lines be kind of warped and ever so slightly fuzzy. And have it at 4.3, I would assume? It'll be at, well, all three will sort. Yeah, actually not all three will be at 4.3. So yeah, it'll be at 4.3 like an old TV. Then they have a separate 4.3 mode, which is uh, exactly the output the NES had, but without the like CRT TV look and feel. So it's going to be like you know, an actual clean 4.3 image. And then they have this thing called Pixel Perfect Mode, which this is the most interesting. Nintendo says it's the most accurate recreation of any NES output they've ever done. It'll present each pixel as it was originally meant to be a perfect square because on 4.3 TVs, you know, they're 4.3. They're not 4.4, so they're not a perfect square. So things are actually slightly squished. Pixels were a little taller than they were wide. Or wider than they so were tall. So Gable looks slightly different. You'd be like, huh, I wonder what it it's is. It's like a little beyond 4.3. Like, if you look at the comparison screenshots, it's like 4.3 is what you expect. And then Pixel Perfect is slightly wider. So they're saying it's the most accurate. The kind of funny thing about this is, is it, though, the most accurate? Because if if you're a game developer in the 80s and you knew... This is not even like a... Like, a, all Nintendo Alliance is kind of an observation. But if you knew your game was squishy looking... It was getting squished ever so slightly. Wouldn't you, in theory, design the graphics to accommodate for the squish? Because everything you play it on 
every play test you do on your NES is on a screen that squishes it. So even if you're drawing it on graph paper where it is a perfect square, you're kind of anticipating the squish, right? You would assume so. Yeah, so either so I don't know if Pixel Perfect, while well, it is Pixel Perfect, I don't know if it's the original artistic vision, but at least you have four three for that. So no matter what, you have a way to play the game how you want to play it. Um and between the three modes, like I can't see a way I can't see anyone being unhappy with none of them. But the uh the authenticity goes beyond just those two. This is actually what I find interesting. Uh multiple media outlets, so IGN, Game Explain, all of them were doing these side by side videos of it running on the NES Classic, like like Zelda or whatever, and running on a virtual console like Wii or Wii U, I didn't realize how dark the NES games look on virtual console. Like, if you put them side by side, like, the NES Classic looks vibrant. The Wii U one looks like you're wearing sunglasses while playing. Hmm. Like, it's noticeably darker, which I had no idea all this time that was the case. I'm sure some, like, diehard, super intense NES yeah, fans were aware of that. NES games on the Wii U and, and they still look fine, but they look brighter and crisper. Huh. on this thing so they're actually emulating every aspect of the original games not just that they're brighter and whatnot but in metroid for example when there's too many emmys on screen it's going to slow down just like on the nes oh great in mario not like significantly but no like, i know but that, that's one of the things that i've always disliked about emulations that do that because i mean sure it's like oh it's just like the other one like they're slow down we're we're recreating the console's limitations like mm-hmm. why can't i just play a game that's smooth like now that we can like Take advantage it, of the fact yeah. that you can make it smooth and not, I don't know, slow down. I mean, that is a, that is a good point. No, but no, that, that's always, that, that's, I don't know. That, that feels of, like something that should be a toggle. That, that, that kind of annoys me. It should be a toggle. Like, who wants that? Like, I don't know. Unless, <laughs> unless, um, for all I know, it could also be, I mean, obviously it could have just been a hardware limitation that they just kept in there because they're like, you know, a lot of enemies on the screen, maybe this will actually help them avoid them easier because it's pretty much slow-mo. Yeah, so, I don't know. And it could be like, yeah, it could be like the pixel thing where it's like, yeah, we're drawing the pixels on a gr- uh, perfect square grid, but we know they're going to squish, so we accommodate, we build around that. Yeah, so it could It's possible. That. But then there's one that there's really no reason to have. Mario 3, if you play it on the NES, there's that white bar on some levels, or maybe the whole game, along the left side where, like, the graphics oh. don't extend to the end of the screen. There's just kind of emptiness. That's in there, too. That one, it's like, why? I don't know why that was there to begin with. I don't know why that's there now. Yeah. That one, like, isn't a limitation. It's just a smaller view. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, when you're doing an HD, well, I guess it's an HD port. I feel like that's when you should take advantage of that time to fix the Yeah, or things. at least, like we were starting to say, maybe a toggle where it's, like, authentic mode versus modern mode or something. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but... But what is interesting is they're really they're really going back to the NES ones because I don't know I don't know what the difference is but since 2003 every Legend of Zelda NES emulation they put out the GameCube disc on like the Zelda collection um, Wii Wii U I guess Game Boy Advance. DS maybe Game Boy Advance did they put the original Zelda on GBA Yeah was they had a link to the past oh classic line? edition you're right well all of those since 2003 had a copyright that said copyright 1998 through 2003 like they updated the software in some way and they actually changed the copyright on the software so something in the game must have changed in the nes classic version it only says 1988 so they're going back to the original original zelda hmm. i don't know what change of anything but that little like little things like to their patches probably mm-hmm. but like little things like but that up, let's keep all that stuff back in yeah no which which you are obviously aren't a fan but i think i think even taking all that into consideration, like even being like, oh, it's kind of dumb they're making the glitches. Like they are really, this isn't just a quick cash in. They're not taking their most recent ROM and dropping it in there. They're actually like going back and doing it, right? I mean, at this point, they should make it so like, um, 
you try to start the game. And you have and, to blow and, on the cartridge slot that doesn't well, open. <laughs> yeah, like, like the game just won't start. You have to like start it and stop. You have to try to turn the game on like three or four times. And I guess you can blow into the controller or something. It's like they have a little like breathalyzer tube that oh, comes out. I think you just have the mic, yeah, or just the... Uh... That actually be kind of funny. But Nintendo always discourages you from blowing into the cartridge. According to Nintendo, you should never blow into the cartridge. You're actually going to deteriorate the copper on the cartridge or whatever material it is faster because the... Uh, the moisture in your breath will erode the metal at a quicker rate. So you're actually rusting it over slowly but surely every time you blow on a cartridge. So while it was something we all did, it's actually something Nintendo strongly advises against doing. And that is your PSA for this episode of Rantown Podcast. But, uh, but yeah, no, the point is, like, it's cool. I think it's cool that they're actually, they're not just doing, like, a cheap cash-in, so to speak. They're actually trying to be authentic with all this, for better or worse. And it's not just the games themselves, either. It also has this new home menu that we kind of mentioned, where um, you can have up to four save states per game, which is the one thing that does break from the old NES setup. So at any time, for any game, you can just save exactly where you're at, and it'll like, freeze-frame so it. Like the virtual console. It's like the virtual console, but you can do it four times over. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Um, and they also, they're going to have QR codes you can access for any game to scan on your phone, and they'll take you to a full scan of the manual i don't know why it's not on the tv maybe because it's kind of weird to read on tv and it makes more sense to read on your phone or you can have it on your phone while playing on the tv but they will have a built-in qr code that points you to a website to download the manual kind of neat and there's also a little thing they're doing where you can sort this one i didn't think like this is something you don't even think about it's kind of cool you can sort the games in different ways just by hitting select on the controller you can uh go alphabetical by publisher by most played by recently played by which ones are two player so you can kind of easily jump back to the ones you're actually playing a game and not to sit and scroll through 30 games. Which, if you recall, on Super Mario All-Stars or Super Mario 20, 20th Anniversary Collection, 25th Anniversary? Was it 20th 25th. or 25th? 25th. 25th. Like, they only had, like, six or seven games in there, but it was kind of annoying. Like, oh, I'll play Mario 3. Oh, let me scroll past six games to Mario 3. So it's kind of nice. Or like, once back. Or once back. Well, I, clearly I took <laughs> the wrong route. But it's kind of nice that they're letting you actually do it by most plays if you get in faster very minor things but like it's attention to detail and the menu looks cool i don't know if you have you seen any pictures of it it's all like eight bit at eight bitted out i did it even has like even the little toggles to turn things on and off they kind of look like ios's little toggles but they're all like eight bit kind of nice touch um but the the one problem is the home menu can only be accessed by pressing the reset button on the console itself there's no way to do it on the controller and if you're thinking but wait I have to get up and walk over to the console just to turn on the home menu. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is uh, it's not that far of a walk. And that's because of the bad news, which is the controller cord, the one thing Nintendo's cheaping out on, I guess. The controller cord is three feet long. That's not very long. So they're not wireless. They're or not they're, wireless. They're no, they plug in. They The controllers plug in. They use a Wii, Wii U port. So you can actually use them with Virtual Console on Wii and Wii U as well as the NES Classic. But, yeah, they plug in and the cord is only three feet. So, if you're playing on Wii or Wii U, you plug them into a Wii remote and you're fine. If you're playing the NES Classic, you might want an HDMI extender if you don't have your TV directly in front of your face. Yes, I see you're measuring exactly how far right now. So, I'm going to do a play-by-play. He's holding a ruler. He has raised the ruler. He's now thrown the ruler behind him without measuring anything. I did. What did you measure? The air? You pointed up. Here, give me your ruler. We're going to do this for real. All right. Okay. We're gonna, we're, I thought you were going to measure the space in your room when I was going to give play-by-play. For you, actually, it would be okay, because your TV's pretty close to where we're currently sitting. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not getting it anyway, so it's a non-issue. None of this is going to convince you? No. I mean, the interface looks nice, but at the end of the day, there's still NES games. Right, and you don't don't like that. Well, 
let me put it another way. The games I would want to play, I already have. Ah, okay. Whether it's on the Virtual Console on the Wii U, on the Wii, or on the 3DS. Nintendo's just made it so easy to get a bunch of their best games over and over and over again. Like, when they had that sale where a bunch of games were 30 cents or something like that. Yes. Yes, um, they were 31st anniversary. Yeah. yeah, like, if you don't have an NES version of Zelda or Mario or something like that. I have four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, it, it really is just for those people that miss or... Or want the collectible. Yeah, just, yeah, just want the NES console, which I don't, because yeah. I never had one. Me neither, so now's my chance. Oh, I, I, yeah, I guess that's where we see it a different way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have any nostalgia for it, I don't really... I mean, it looks cool, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's pointless for me, because I already have the games accessible. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I mean... But I mean, so even the, so, the built-in anti-screen burn-in mode won't or anti—I mean, give me a that won't convince you. Give me an SNES <laughs> classic, and I'll definitely buy that. Even if I already have all. Well, that's things. the thing is, it sounds like this could be a series because it's technically called—I um, forgot the actual name. It's like Nintendo Classic. Da, 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 da. Like it has a colon, it has like a title, and then this is like the subtitle. It's not like Nintendo Classics Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan. They just announced the Famicom as Nintendo Classics. Family computer, mm. so or something like that. So now you know, it game, might happen. You know Game Boy is coming. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that'd be great. But like, I don't see. I don't see it's that bad. That like for sixty bucks, it's not it to like, me. That's not that bad. Thirty games do, for sixty bucks. If they are consistent and are able to release, I guess what I would imagine only up to the N sixty four. Yeah. Um. Possibly GameCube. I can't see. No, they're doing, not going to do GameCube. Yeah. Those are too big. Um. I, don't know, I guess it would be something I could just have on the shelf, like, oh, look, here's NES of Nintendo on 64. But, right. But, yeah. But, like, I mean, 60 games, or 30 games, 60 bucks, you're paying 2 bucks a game. Mm, that's, that's too much for some of those. I mean, yeah, Mario's $5 on Wii eShop, on, like, Virtual I mean, Console. I don't really think it's worth $5 at this point. Wow, bold words. Did you know Mario's 24? I'm older than him. As am I. An old interview with Miyamoto surfaced, and he is 24, according to Miyamoto, in 2005. I don't mean like he's been out for 24 years. I mean the character so is 24. So Miyamoto, you shave the mustache and trim him up a little, like have him go on a diet. So he's so he was 24 in 2005. No, no, no. He's 24. The character is 24. Like how Bart Simpson is always 10. Mario's in his mid-20s, yes. Hmm. He really needs to get in shape and shave that mustache because he looks 38. Yeah, he looks like in his mid I would assume he was like in his late 30s, that means, 40s or something. That means Bob Hopkins is playing... When he in the Mario movie in his fifties was playing a twenty four year old. And well, no one and no one bad an eye and went, That is miscast. <laughs> well, I mean apparently no one knew about this until just now, right? Well, the interviews from two thousand five just resurfaced uh the other day though. Yeah. I think that's something that people would Apparently apparently in the Japanese version of Super Smash Bros. Melee, there was actually a reference in the trophy for Mario about how he's how he's around twenty six. And then Nintendo took that out. When they brought the game to America. Likewise, there's reference to Birdo's sexuality thing. And they took that out. So in America, Mario's timeless. In Japan, Mario's in his mid-20s, I guess. Mm. I don't know. It's confusing. But but yeah, for me at least, the NES Classic, regardless of Mario's age. I I guess, yeah, I guess I'm just mainly yeah, getting it for... Like looking at Mario now on, on that poster. And I guess I honestly don't even really see an 
age. I don't know. He's just like an adult, like a very generic, yeah, it, like, like just generic yeah. adult. Well, it's like it's like no one's like how old is Mickey Mouse or how old is Pikachu? Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I mean, but he's like a he, human. He's a person. Yeah, he's a human. But I don't really think of him as a human. Me neither. I think of yeah. him as a cartoon mascot. Yeah. So it's weird that Miyamoto's like, yeah, he's like twenty four. You know, if Mario, kind of if Mario like, was like, real, like age to it just makes it weird. Like, I mean, Mario clearly look, doesn't look like a. No, he's like, That's an unfortunate twenty-four-year-old. If Wario is twenty-four, yeah, no, not that I'm you, you know, if Mario was twenty-four in our day and age, and he had that mustache, he'd be living in like Echo Park or Williamsburg, and he'd like be a barista at some independent coffee shop and and jam out to cassette tape. He'd be total hipster. Is my point? <laughs> like that mustache. He's basically a hipster. Wow, Mario's a hipster. Well, I mean, I'm based on just on your. No, no, what I'm saying is fact. There's no denying Mario is a hipster. No, but uh, this we got a bit of tangent. The point I was going to make is, for me at least, the NES Classic, like all this stuff Nintendo's doing on top of it just adds, like I was going to get it anyway because it's just a cool little collectible. And after seeing it at Con-Con, I was like, oh, yeah, this thing is really awesome in person. But well, if they have it pre-ordered? No, because they're not for pre-order anywhere in the U.S. yet. No one's put them up yet, apparently. Amazon might have, but no one else has. I, a lot of people are complaining about it on Twitter. Now, what's funny is in Japan, they announced the Famicom Mini just this past week and that went up for pre-order same day but NOA can't seem to get it up for pre-order three months after it was announced so shrug it's really what they want I mean um, the Majora's Mask Collector's Edition went up the same day they announced it. I know. a bunch of things go up the same I know. Day other things we just have to wait and what's even more annoying is so I was reading this article from The Verge where they were talking to David Young of Nintendo PR and um he was saying, like, oh, yeah, we realize that there's going to be high demand. We're going to try and get it ready. Like, we understand that people are going to want it, so we're trying to produce enough or something along those well, lines. A lot of my but I feel like they're still they're not like going to produce enough. People in their late 40s. Like, yeah, it's like, a nostalgia yeah, thing. Everybody wants I mean, when it was first announced, we were talking about not only is it great for nostalgia for yourself, but it's a good way to introduce your kids if you have kids to what you grew up playing. Christmas gift, too. It's a stock. They're literally mar- billing it as a stocking stuffer because it's so small. I mean, the box is huge, but the. The thing is, so <laughs> big, like, is it as big as the original? And then when they open it, nah. like a novelty, like oh, I was expecting a. Full it's like when you yeah. get those packages from Amazon, and you're like, I could have sworn I just got like a headphone cord, and it comes in like a box the size of a car. Oh, it's you, like that. Oh, no, it's you, not. It's not. Oh, you mean not, Sony's not packaging? Like, yeah, they for their the Vita SD card, or yeah, yeah, the Vita. tiny little thing, but it came in like this gigantic blister pack. Yeah, inside of this gigantic box, and just for that tiny little thing, it was like. A millimeter, like three millimeters. I do not miss blister packs at all. I'm so glad that Amazon was able to get people to start phasing those out. Have you noticed there's been a huge decrease in blister packs? They're now just boxes that have tape on them. They're still around, but if you go to Best Buy, like all Nintendo's accessories are not in blister packs anymore. They're in boxes. What controllers used to be? Memory cards used to be. Rumble packs used to be. Expansion packs used to be. I don't know why that didn't really occur to me. Link oh, cables used to well, be. I mean, Everything was in a blister pack. And the GameCube controllers were, but I, I remember some of them had that packaging where you could just like split it down the middle. They were like Legos. But that was a step towards the current boxes. That was the in-between, yeah. I know, yeah. But like if you look at the Wiimote, scissors, yeah. yeah, if you look at Wiimote, and I always if you thought look when, at like, Wii Wheels. Working, if they return, it's like, well, I kind of have to like destroy this box. Yeah. And not only that, but they like cut you. Yeah. I've been I've been shanked by one too many blister packs. No, but it, uh, yeah, it. It's nice that they're getting moving past that. And then, no, the, N- the NES Classic box is not that big, but it's it's big enough. It's big enough that's not truly a stocking stuffer. But if you're a parent who likes to open your child's presents for them, there you go. But, yeah, so in Japan, I was starting to say that they also have one. And I don't know, would you consider a Famicom Classic? Because you never – probably not, I would guess, because you never have a Famicom either. But it looks – it's kind of cool, but I feel like – That's different games. That's it has game. a few different games. It has some of the Japan-only disc system games that never came here. It has a couple other Japan-only games. I think there's nine games difference between them. 
But what's interesting to me about the Famicom Mini is because it's the Famicom design, that means tethered controllers. So we here in the West actually lucked out because we get controllers that come out of the slot and can be plugged into a Wii or Wii U. But over in Japan, how the Famicom was originally designed is the controllers sit on the sides. Those little like antenna things that stick up on the Famicom are actually like controller holders. So the controllers are tethered to the original Famicom, which means for the Mini, they are tethered to the Mini. Which means the controllers themselves must be very mini. I remember an episode, two, I think it was two episodes ago, we were talking about the Game Boy Micro, and you said it was too small. No. It looked uncomfortable. Look at a picture of the Famicom Mini controllers. They are like, that Zoolander line about like, what is this, a school for ants? Is It's very applicable to these controllers. They are tiny. Because they have to fit the tiny console, because they have to be tethered, because that's how they originally were. So, like, it looks ridiculous. Like, they have a picture of someone Do holding they have it. an optional, like, normal size? No. And also, you can't unplug the things. So, I think its cable's also three feet, but they're and stuck they on in, there. And they plug into the back, so it didn't technically be shorter? I think so. And what else is a, a kind of interesting about the Famicom Mini, I don't know why Nintendo did this, is uh, it doesn't come with an AC adapter in Japan. Instead, it uses micro USB. Does the controller at least have the mic? Like, the actual Famicom? I, I don't know, actually. I forgot the Famicom did. I don't know. Hmm. But, but yeah, it, and it uses micro USB to charge instead of, like, a bar, an AC adapter like the NES Classic, which is kind of strange. Mm. Interesting. It's like they almost know people aren't going to be using it on a home entertainment system, but maybe plug it into, like, something that has a micro USB adapter, I guess, like a computer monitor. But I think – I honestly think we got the better end of the deal between the Famicom. Like, usually Japan gets all the cool stuff, but I think between the Famicom and the NES Classic minis – we definitely got the better deal because we have controllers that are more versatile. We have controllers that aren't stuck on the system and can be held like by a normal person because literally the NES controller is the size of the NES Classic in width or in length, I mean. So hmm. we, we lucked out. But, uh, uh, yeah. I still like the colors of the Famicom more. I mean, just because we just have gray and black. Yeah. I mean, it is an iconic thing now, and I do... I don't know why. I like how maybe the Vans boxes look. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just because those are already boxes, but... Um, I guess for a console, I always thought the the NES are kind of boring compared to, I guess, the Famicom or the anything else. It did look boring. Know. It does look boring. I mean, honestly, they, I mean, they I mean, purposely made it boring. They were modeling after a VCR because they didn't think the Famicom design would work here. Mm. Like, they were like, okay, what's something people could put under their TV and not be like, oh, my God, I'm so ashamed, video games. And it was... Because remember, this was, their, this was Nintendo rebooting the whole game oh, industry, yeah, so they didn't yeah, want yeah. something that stuck out too much. Yeah, that's was, why it that's like a, it was like a Trojan horse. That is exactly yeah. why, by the way, it is not called a game system. It is not called a game console. It is an entertainment system, because the Nintendo game system or video games had a negative connotation among parents at that point. But calling it an entertainment system implied, in theory, one, it could do more than games if they ever went that route, which they never did in the states, but it could have. And two, like games was a poison word, so now it isn't. They they skirted around that. But uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited for NES Classic. I it comes out eleven eleven. It's sixty bucks. Uh, we'll have I'll have my impressions of it when the time comes. I will I will admit the menus on the Famicom menu, like you were saying, the color scheme does look better because the menus match the system design. So like the Japanese menu home menu for Famicom Mini is like beige and red and looks pretty cool, while the US one's just gray <laughs> with some other gray and a third layer of gray. But 
Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, that, like, it kind of, like, if you look at the menu, it kind of mimics, like, the Wii U home menu or the 3DS home menu, but, like, NESified. Like, well, each game has a box, but then along the top, there are, like, five icons, kind of like how on the bottom of the gamepad there are five icons, or how on the 3DS on the top there are five icons, and those icons are for, like, general sayings, or, like, checking your save states, but then at the bottom it has, like, little things about the games. It's, it's kind of like a hybrid of, like, the Mario All-Stars interface and, like, a typical modern-day Nintendo home menu. Which to me suggests perhaps the NX will have something similar in terms of a home menu because they're obviously that's the design language they're using now is those icons on like core icons and then stuff in between the core, under or above the core icons, which in a way brings us to NX. Yeah. So yeah, so obviously we're not seeing it in 2016. We're seeing the NX Classic as Nintendo's only hardware, but in 2017 we have the NX. And for yet another episode, we still don't have any concrete information from Nintendo about the so NX. September is coming gone. So now we're up to October, which is the rumored time that is going to happen. So what do you think? Do you think we'll hear something this month? Yes, because I don't think they're going to undercut their holiday sales by announcing it like right before Thanksgiving and right before Black Friday. Or so you're saying it's either October or January, and then... Pretty I'm much, saying I don't think no. Pretty no, much no, no. hold off three months before it's supposed to come out. I mean, it's hey, Apple announces things three weeks before they come out. Yeah, but people pretty much know exactly what it they is. They didn't used to. I mean, by they didn't used to. Leaks and stuff, yeah, but, they didn't used to. Yeah, there was a period. Uh, you know, actually, I take that back. Video no, games? it won't. It no, because you need developers to be able to develop stuff. But some developers know things, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. But a like a lot of the bigger ones do. Even yeah. some indie ones are signing NDAs now, apparently. Uh, but the, so like people, like Nintendo's contacting the people they want to contact, but yeah, there is like, now that I think about when Apple unveiled the iPhone in January 2007, the phone didn't come out till June. When Apple unveiled the Apple watch in September of whatever year, 2014, it didn't come out till May of 2015. So I guess for new product categories, yeah, I guess they do, they do need more, more of a lead time. So I, I feel like October would be the best bet, but it just seems like if they're not going to wait till January, if they somehow miss October. They'll have to do it in November, I guess. But I feel like November, like, at that point, Nintendo's marketing should be entirely the NES Classic, Pokemon Sun and Moon, the 3DS stuff. Oh, wait, it is just Pokemon Sun and Moon at that point. But, uh, oh, and then December, you know, they have Animal Crossing, Welcome Amiibo. Like, they need to pace a little. What's their usual formal announcement to release? And when I mean formal, I mean, like... To yeah. the math is not like a, a stock a shareholders meeting. You mean not when they put out a, p- a press release? It's yeah. like, hey, we're making a dual screen system. It's gonna be wacky. Like yeah, three three DS reveal. Yeah, like, um, did that, that come out? In- yes, that was the same year. They usually give it at least an E three. So we're talking at least seven months, probably six months. So yeah, at least now. six months. <laughs> so now, now would be October of your time. But like uh, the three DS was announced. No, everything by Friday. Ah, uh, that would be interesting. I think they'll wait till mid October. No, they'll wait till mid. They'll wait till mid October because Paper Mario, um, Color Splash officially comes out. Even though some people were playing the when you know about this, right? They upload the preload for Paper Mario, but they forgot to lock the preload. So for like a, a few hours, people that downloaded the game had access to the full game. And as long as they turned off their Wi-Fi, it just stayed. I think actually, I think if you had your Wi-Fi, as long as you download it, you had access. So there are people that have like played through the entire game. And it's not out till this coming. Weekend. Yeah, October 7th, right? Yeah. But they're already playing it. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's pretty fun. We'll, we'll have our impressions in a couple episodes because we did not download it. I'm buying physical, but still. Uh, but anyway, what was I starting to say? Oh, what brought Paper Mario? Oh, yeah, I don't think they're going to do it this week, the NX, because they're going to they're gonna completely send Paper Mario to die. They want to at least give it a little chance. So they'll probably do mid-October once people that want Paper Mario bought Paper Mario, at least okay. the initial hardcore fans. 
But yeah, it's usually about six to nine months up to a year. The Wii U was the weird exception because they showed it in 2012 then again in 20... Or sorry, 2011 then again in 2012 then released at end of 2012. But like, DS was made in November. The Wii, outside the controller, the Wii itself was made in November. The GameCube, I think they might have showed at like a Space World in 2000 and then released in 2001, so that's more like the Wii. Uh, the Wii U, I mean. So... Yeah, it kind of fluctuates, but they are definitely in the window where they have to announce things. But the problem is they're not just not announcing things. They are actively suppressing information. Like, it's one thing to be like, we won't tell you about an NX. It's another thing where they're acti- like actually removing NX references. This is kind of a funny story where some site called GameSkinny was interviewing a Nintendo of Canada rep. And at the start of the interview, the rep was like, hey, just don't ask about NX. We can't talk about it. And they're like, Seriously? Or, like, really? You're getting that many questions? I have to, like, preface it with you can't talk about it? And he's like, yeah, I mean, everyone's asking, and I'm paraphrasing here. And, I mean, we'll announce it when we announce it, and we're likely going to announce it with a Nintendo Direct, but, you know, it'll be closer to launch. Just stay tuned. Next thing you know, GameSkinny was asked to update their their, uh, interview, and they removed that part of the interview, Mm -hmm. and it just said removed by request of Nintendo. So, like, the guy didn't even say it will be a Nintendo Direct. All he basically said was, hey, we're going to announce something closer when it comes out probably a direct but we'll see and it sounds like no too much information you can't tell them we're going to announce it before we release it no <sighs> bad so they actually made them pull it now granted the weird thing is the site had no obligation to pull it no legal obligation i guess they just didn't want to be on nintendo's bad side which i don't blame them i'm sure i'm sure if we had a scoop on nintendo and nintendo came to us it's like we want to support you but can you take away that scoop we would at least entertain the thought for a few minutes but i don't know if we would do it but because we've gotten this far without nintendo we could keep going but no it's um yeah, that's how anti-NX Nintendo is at the moment. But what's kind of funny is that while they're not talking, some other people that are pretty high up in the game world are talking. And I think perhaps the most notable person that's talking is the CEO of the Pokemon company, whose name I'm now going to attempt to say, and I'm going to completely butcher, and I do apologize. Actually, no, you know Japanese. Here, here's his name. You know basic Japanese. Say that for me, please. Tsunekazu Ishihara? Ishihara, I thought I could it's like, do. It's like Tsunami. Yeah, the fir- his name's Tsunami? No, it's like the same pronunciation. Oh, okay, yeah. No, Ishihara, I can do. It's the Tsuna, the first name I couldn't do. Oh. I didn't want to butcher it. But anyway, this guy's the CEO of the Pokemon company. And if there's anyone outside of Nintendo who knows what the NX is and can talk about it, it is probably the guy who runs the company that's mostly owned by Nintendo, or at least partially owned by Nintendo, and makes games of one of their biggest franchises. So I would take him seriously. And, uh, by the way, this is a guy, in case you're dying to know, who truly believes, he said this in an interview, that Executor is the best Pokemon and deserves more of a spotlight. So maybe that's why he has the new Alolan form. Hmm. So I don't know, make of that what you will. Maybe this decredits everything he he said about the NX, but he's an Executor fan. Like, that's just, like, the best Pokemon because it just looks... I don't know if he specifically said the word best, but he was saying it was one of his favorites. Oh, okay, that, that's... It's different. a little different, yeah, I'm now realizing I mis- I shouldn't have quoted him that way. But he said it was, a top, like, one of the top ones, in his opinion. I don't know if he means in terms of stats or just character... Preference. Preference. Nonetheless, though, if that makes you question his judgment, then ignore everything he said about next. But I, I like it low in Executor, so I'm on board. But, um... Yeah, anyway, what he was saying in an interview with the Wall Street Journal was, uh, probably the closest we're going to get to a real confirmation that the NX is a hybrid up until Nintendo actually says it. He said, and I quote, the NX is trying to change the concept of what it means to be a home console device or a handheld device. Hmm. I can't think of a single other way of explaining that besides hybrid. 
So it's not a home console and it's not a hybrid or it's not a handheld. It's something that changes the definition of both. That sounds like it's something that does both. That sounds like a hybrid. So as far as I'm concerned, that's confirmation. All the rumors are true based on that guy. But uh, we kind of already knew that would be the case. I mean, multiple media sites, IGN, Wall Street Journal, Eurogamer, a ton when we first talked about the hybrid rumors all said they independently heard from different sources that was the case. So just having the CEO of Pokemon now saying it just makes it that much more likely. But at the same time, just internet, just a heads up, hi internet, how are you? Um, don't say he confirms things when he doesn't confirm things. There are multiple stories that's like, Pokemon CEO confirms hybrid device. It's like, no, he did not outright confirm it. He heavily alluded, and there's a big difference between saying it's a hybrid and saying, hey, it's not what you're used to. You'll mm-hmm. see. Like, they're very big difference. Nope, because only time will tell. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's just, I don't know already. I know, right? And then the, the um, but he did say one thing, actually, that's kind of interesting. That's more than just what it is. And that is, get ready for the biggest shock you're ever get. We've been doing this podcast for four and a half years. I don't think we've had any news as shocking as what I'm about to say. With a Pikachu related. Pokemon games will be made for the NX. That was something that actually was, like, headline worthy. The Pokemon Company CEO confirmed that the franchise that Nintendo basically owns is going to be coming to the one system they're making in the future. Whoa. Like, what? <laughs> but yeah, um, but it does bring up an interesting thing in that what will it be mainline if they're if it's a hybrid device? I mean, what console or system doesn't have Pokemon Exactly. Games? Like, aren't they, That's why um, it's funny. iOS? Isn't it like Pokemon? It is, yeah. I mean, not ever going to go that route. I mean, it is on iOS, but they're doing spin- well Pokemon Go, obviously. I don't think we're going to see mainline Pokemon. Like a trophy. Yes, there's Pokemon Shuffle, which is actually quite fun. Um, There's Pokemon Shuffle. There's Pokemon Go. There's a Pokemon Photo Booth app. I'm sure there'll be a mainline game on, especially if it is this hybrid thing. Like they always release it on the handheld, and if Nintendo isn't having a handheld next generation, and you put it on the console, and I have to put it on that. Yeah. Now, what this plays nicely with is there's a rumor that we talked about a little while ago. I think at the same time as the hybrid stuff from Eurogamer that MCV, which is a European trade site for video games, was talking about how Pokemon, Mario, and Zelda will all be out on NX within six months of launch. At least that's Nintendo's goal. Pretty big if they can get their three biggest franchises out in six months. Which leads to the question I started asked of what sort of Pokemon game will it be. Well, ultimately, I think we're going to get a mainline. But, like, are we going to see Pokemon Sun and Moon NX where it's, like, enhanced? Kind of like... Because remember when um, there's a period where Pokemon Mystery Dungeon was on Game Boy Advance and DS simultaneously, and they were the same game, but the DS one was, like, enhanced for the DS... It was a red red mm. team or something team red. like one was a red version one was a blue version one was DS one was Game Boy I guess oh, that's yeah, one yeah, route yeah. they could go another route is which I hope they don't do is uh knock like meh spinoff games like Pokemon Dash that would kind of suck if they did that so I'm kind of hoping I don't think I don't think I want a mainline Pokemon game within six months of Sun and Moon like a different one oh, well, that seems like one's gonna be rushed yeah. yeah. I mean, at least give us the year, and the year seems like a long time. I mean, but I'm if it's out con- within I'm the first not- six months of NX, well, that means by end of summer. Considering I'm still not convinced I'm getting um, Sun and Moon, I mean, that could be convenient for me. Yeah, that's true. But, but or, I, or what if it's just Sun and Moon again? That's but, what I'm saying would suck, uh, yeah. Well, I'm kind of hoping they do. I don't know why, but when I was like thinking about this, I was like, you know what would be cool? If they did like one of the Pokemon XD style RPGs. 
like what they do with Coliseum or XD, where it was Pokemon, but it was like its own little beast, where it was like a totally that'd be, different game. That'd be pretty cool, right? Because it also had multiplayer. I mean, that pretty much was the the Pokemon Stadium of the GameCube generation because it still fulfilled that battle your friends need, but it also gave you a story, which is pretty cool, right? And then they I guess they went back to the traditional with our revolution, yeah, yeah, which I really really loved, but yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, like, I like, to, I would like to see that. Actually, yeah. that would actually be cool because I mean it's a good way to showcase yeah, the graphics yeah like, yeah, you have 3D on the, on the 3DS and by 3D I just mean like polygons like you're not looking yeah. at sprites attacking anymore but like nothing compares to watching I guess like really nice looking models of characters with like really cool special effects because even compared to Battle Revolution or Coliseum when you some of the Pokemon attack they're I don't know someone has like more underwhelming like animations than others like only certain yeah. moves actually like look really cool for the most part, I don't know. Yeah, I think, like... I feel like they could go all out. And then, like, maybe even use that, like, for, like, big tournaments or something. It might, like, speed things along somehow. I don't know. Yeah, because I think if you're coming out with a new system like NX and you're Nintendo, you want things that show off what the NX can do. You got Breath of the Wild for Zelda showing off how good a game yeah. in your hands can look and, from Nintendo. So you would want a 3D Pokemon battle something, but not just a battle simulator. Yeah, when, we, when we did, um... When I was in that... Pokemon Diamond and Pearl tournament, um, they had Revolution set up all over the place, and you do it just connect your DS. Right. And, mm-hmm. hey, I mean, this new Pokemon XD style. By the way, here's why I really think it's going to happen. You know if you take Pokemon XD and you switch the D and the X and it becomes Pokemon DX and then you change that D into an N, you know what you get? Pokemon NX. Boom. Done. No, but um, no, I was going to say that uh, Pokemon Bank could hook right in. You could transfer Pokemon right into the Battle Simulator in there, and then it has an RPG mode for people that don't own the 3DS Pokemons. It could it could work easily. It will work. It will work. Here at Pokemon Company, you are making it. It's not us suggesting. It's us telling you. It's already been in development, and you just don't know. But yeah, that's that's what I'm kind of hoping Pokemon Company does. But I guess again, time will tell. Um, alongside Pokemon Company, they're not the only ones talking about NX either. Uh, Ubisoft or, or Ubisoft. I recently learned both pronunciations are correct. <laughs> Depends who you ask. It really does. Ubisoft put out a video. A while, like over the summer, I think I tweeted at the time where it was like, "How do you pronounce Ubisoft?" And like the employees said, like there was Ubisoft, 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 and then something else. And I was like, none of the one of these has to be wrong. I mean, actually, three of these have to be wrong. One has to be correct, but you get to decide how to say it. So I'm going to say Ubisoft. But uh, yeah, their CEO is also out and about talking about the NX publicly. Um, he's very enthusiastic about. It. He's been doing a lot of interviews lately. I think it's in part because um, Ubisoft right now is having a, is trying to dodge a hostile takeover from Vivendi. Vivendi Games being the ones that used to own um, a chunk of Activision and used to own Spyro and Crash. Like, remember when Universal Games was a thing? Yeah. That was Vivendi. And then they left the game industry. And now suddenly they're like, hmm, maybe we should go back into the game industry. Let's just take Ubisoft. We can just buy out enough shares. So they're trying to buy out enough shares. Ubisoft doesn't want to be bought, so it's a hostile takeover where literally they're just no. trying to get shareholders to give them the shares so they can just control Ubisoft through vote. Uh, so now their CEO, Yves Kimon, or however you say it, is uh, out and about trying to like drum up like, oh, we're this independent developer and we're doing all these great things and we're so excited about Look at our future. We're going to make games for PS4 and Xbox One and, and, and P- PlayStation VR and Scorpio when it comes out, and then NX as well. So he's been talking about NX, and he's been saying things that are very positive about NX. He, um, in a shareholder call, I believe, he called. He said that the NX is going to put Nintendo back in the race, which is mm. kind of... I mean, that 
that says nothing but it says something too because it means well, he, he's I saying mean, they'll be competitive yeah I, I mean I think on a basic level I would just interpret that as um the Wii U did not sell yeah um, oh that's all I think it means yeah, yeah so like this one will put them back on the like oh hot selling like hot cake right exactly money, blah, blah, yeah blah. that's I think that's all it means I mean Ubisoft is already publicly committed to making games for NX I mean Just Dance 2017 was literally the first third party game announced for NX so they're already there, but to hear him say stuff like that is a bit more encouraging, along with he said to IGN um, in an interview that, well, he said things that you could interpret as maybe meaning the form factor rumors are true. He didn't say anything to imply specifically a hybrid, but he said things that imply Nintendo's going a different route. He said things like, uh, it's, quote, really a new approach. It's really Nintendo coming with something, coming up with something new again. We love it. And then he went even further, describing the interface as attractive and saying that it's built for all gamers and capped all of that off with, quote, they come up with something new. Wait, they. Uh-huh. Yeah, this quote seems weird grammar. Anyway, they come up with something new that's adapted to what we actually want now. Hmm. So as mobile games continue to rise. I yeah, I don't either. But as mobile games continue to rise in popularity. And he keeps saying it's a new approach, it's a new form factor, it's something people want now. It sounds like the hybrid would potentially play into that idea. Not all confirmation of the hybrid, like Pokemon Company guy, Ishihara, but enough of a good emphasis that this isn't just another console or isn't just another hybrid. It's something different, it's something new. So we shall see. And I'm assuming there are some people listening right now. I mean, I'm, I admit I'm somewhat skeptical. They're basically saying, like, so what? Those are just words. Ubisoft is just saying things. And they kind of have a point. I mean, Ubisoft likes to hype things up a lot. In fact, back before the Wii U came out, uh, the this, this same CEO, Yves Guillemont, uh, teased that the then-codenamed Project Cafe was, quote, really fantastic. And he went on to say during an investor call that he thought it would be extremely successful. Hmm. We, we know how that turned out. So Ubisoft does like to hype things up in advance a bit. So it's possible he he might really be impressed with the NX. He might just be saying this to get investors motivated. But when speaking with GameStop, GameSpot, he did confirm that Just Dance is only one of many games they're bringing. He said that Ubisoft is planning uh, more games. And specifically, he said, quote, we'll see something at some point soon. Hmm. Which sounds to me like it's going to be an announcement in tandem with NX or the NX. We'll see something at at some some point. point. But soon is the key part. Because you could just say we have projects in the works. We'll reveal them when they're ready. But we'll see something at some point soon. Kind of sounds like they're going to be their day and date with the NX with something. I don't know if it's going to be like how they did Zombie U on Wii U or if they means just just dance. But it it's... Ubisoft has this thing, if you haven't noticed, where they like to be on consoles at launch. And then only when they don't work out do they slowly back away. And apparently this is very intentional. It's like Zombie U is a good example. That was like one of the high, like the big games for for uh, Wii U. It's really cool. It is really cool. And it like used the system well. And it was really marketed heavily. Like Nintendo literally made a Wii U Zombie U bundle in Europe. And this is Ubisoft's entire core strategy. Is he was explain- He's saying in the same GameSpot interview that um, they like to go new machines. Because there's not as many comparison points when you're on those machines. Like, they could come up with a gameplay idea that uses the machine, and if it doesn't work perfectly, it's still cool. They could still make money, and they could still have a good game because it's a new concept, and people are more open to trying new things on a new machine. Because when you're buying something new, you're like, what's the crazy thing that this thing does? However, if they release a game four years down the line when, the, when it's an established machine, they have more they're competing against. The ideas have all been tested out. 
you have to be really tried and true. He's basically like, yeah, we can make a game and screw up a little, and people will still buy it, and it'll still be an interesting experience. But if we came out with Zombie U four years after Wii U, would people have cared? Maybe not. So it's kind of an interesting approach, but that that to me implies that whatever Ubisoft is doing with NX, multiple games will be there day and date with NX, which is good. We need third party support. But the uh, the other interesting thing though is that emphasis on soon, because if NX is rumored to be, if if the rumors that NX is happening in October it become true, it may coincide nicely with something else Ubisoft's been up with. I don't know if it's a coincidence or something more. But Ubisoft's Michael Ansel, who's one of their main developers, has begun posting teaser images on his Instagram that look an awful, awful lot like a Beyond Good and Evil sequel. The art shows this, like, scruffy guy with a little pig on his back, and the little pig can easily grow up into Pej, or however you say him from, I forgot how to pronounce it, from the original Beyond Good and Evil, the pig that assists your main character, Jake. I never played that game. It's a fun game. It's like Zelda. It's like Zelda, but you have like a water hovercraft, and you take photos, and but it's like a third-person adventure game. But it has like a cool story, and it it's cool. It's very cool. It's set in this like world with obviously animals and humans, but it's uh, it's a really fun game. Uh, I I have it on GameCube. If you're curious, mm. I could bring I'm it over really sometime. Curious. But yeah, so the caption. So there's this photo with this pig, and then the caption says somewhere in System Four, Beyond Good and we, the universe of Beyond Good and Evil is System Four. So. Ubisoft's been tweeting about these things, saying to stay tuned and follow along. He's putting up these teasers, now multiple teasers. There's a second one he put a couple days later. Something's brewing. You got the CEO of Ubisoft saying we're going to reveal stuff soon. There have been rumors that Bianca and Evil 2 may be coming to NX and may even be NX exclusive. So all these things are lining up very nicely to suggest it is certainly possible that we're going to be seeing Bianca and Evil 2 either announced in tandem with NX or at the NX event or in the NX Direct or whatever, however they're doing it, it sounds like there's a good chance they're intertwined. I mean, are you potentially excited? Yeah, or? Beyond Good and Evil is very fun. Now, granted, as I do with all my games, I did not beat it, but I did enjoy it while I played it. Was it. The first 10 minutes were fun. No, no, it was the, the first The tutorial two. level. <laughs> it was, you know what was great was learning the controls. I can't talk about what you do with the controls because I didn't get that far, but learning them. No, it was actually a really fun game. I got decently far in it, I feel like. But, uh, I mean, this was like 2003, so it was a long time ago. But it was a fun game. The uh, the thing, I don't know if you remember, we talked about the, the rumor, like, over the summer maybe, back in the spring, that Nintendo might have money-had it, essentially, Beyond Good and Evil 2 for NX as an exclusive. They've been edited it? Yeah, they've been in and edited it. Yeah, so uh, Destructoid was saying at the time that they, Nintendo might be helping with development costs, thus it will be exclusive to NX. And in the time since, obviously, we're seeing these things pop up. And then Go Nintendo's uh, Rami Cowboy, or Kevin Cassidy, uh, was saying on their podcast that he's heard from multiple people that Beyond Good and Evil 2 for NX is a legit thing that is actually happening. Mm. So, whether it's exclusive or not, who knows? But it looks like NX and Beyond Good and Evil are in some way connected. And with these teases starting and Ubisoft saying stay tuned, it yeah. We're, we're getting to a point where things are going to be revealed. And then soon. we'll find out it was nothing. It was just like passion project it was passion like fan art by a but developer he, i doubt that i mean the developer's michael ansel is the creator of the or game he created beyond good and or evil. it's a game set in the beyond good and evil universe but has nothing to do with the first game you may also uh, we see that's possible but the pig from the first game is just a youngin in this one yeah so I mean, it's probably don't know if it's the same pig i mean that's true i mean he can't be the only pig creature in that, that that's fair that's fair but there's no way he'd be like somewhere in system four and then put a picture of a pig on a guy's back and not imply it's the same pig uh, but if you don't know the name Michael Ansel specifically by that name, he also is the Rayman guy. He created Rayman. 
Ooh. Yeah. So he's like a pretty big developer. So if he's tweeting, and if you really want to get nitty-gritty with the rumors, he also Instagrammed a picture of some amiibo the other week. So if you want to go full conspiracy theorist, he put the Amiibo picture because it's Nintendo exclusive. Now, of course, that's not the case, but it is kind of funny timing. Like, just, like, not funny, like, suspicious. Funny, like, haha, that is kind of funny. That literally, as these rumors ramp up, he's posting Amiibo photos. But anyway, there is one other rumor about an X that might be worth mentioning. This one has much less, like, this one I would take with more than a sing- uh, few grains of salt. And that is uh, rumors that Capcom could be bringing Resident Evil 7 to NX as well. Now, this is definitely less concrete because it stems from a trademark for the game that mentions cartridges in the trademark. And if you're a call... You mean we get to go straight from 4 to 7? Yeah. Mm. Uh, but as you say, if you're a I mean, good thing 7 looks so vastly different that it doesn't even look like it tied yeah. to the other one so far. Yeah, and, and it's hard to say this will happen, but the cartridge thing was the, the link here. And if you recall when the NX... When the cartridge rumor about the NX started back in June? July? It was because Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild had... I don't know why I said its full name. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild had uh, its copyright said cartridge on it, which no other game from Nintendo for a console had. Resident Evil 7 says cartridge on it, so people immediately were like, oh my god, it must be coming to, it must be coming to the NX. Now, unfortunately for the rumor mongers, um, multiple Capcom games that never came to cartridge have cartridge in their trademark. Uh, Deep Down, for example, had a cartridge mention. So this rumor is so definitely... Like just in case? Yeah, so this rumor is definitely more sketchy, but it opens up the possibility... Like, it brings up the point that Resident Evil would make sense on NX. Resident Evil and Nintendo were kind of a thing. It was, you know, synonymous at one point. You got the Resident Evil remake I mean, on GameCube. And we even had Revelations on 3DS that yeah. did really well, and then they came to Wii U, and then and we did less never well, got, and then we never and got Part 2. Right, because the Wii U one did not do very well. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, like, Resident Evil Remake was on GameCube. They did Zero on GameCube. They did 2 and 3 on GameCube. They did 4 on GameCube. They had every Resident Evil on GameCube. And Capcom and Nintendo are very close right now, as you know, with Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah. And with Ace Attorney. I mean, we may not be getting physical copies, but we're definitely getting most of the games. I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't get the one that was set in ancient times, and I don't think we're getting the sequel either, so. Oh, uh, Great Ace Attorney? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one they just announced at Tokyo Game Show? Yep. Yeah, probably not, but who knows. But my but my point was that Capcom and Nintendo are very, very close. So I could see Nintendo at least trying very hard to get Resident Evil 7 on NX, whether or not this copyright has anything to do with it, with the cartridge thing. But it would be great to have. Yeah. I feel like the more the merrier at for a new system. Or any point in a system's uh, life, really. We'd have to hope that... I don't know, I guess that the wallets will speak. Um, what ex- uh, what game was it where, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm misquoting completely, but I know there was a game that there was a demand for it, Nintendo brought it over, and then it didn't sell well, so they're like, well, we told you so, or something like that. Um, was it one of the Operation Rainfall games? I want to say it was. Xenoblade? I don't remember Xenoblade. Xenoblade sold well enough for Xenoblade Chronicles X. I remember there was like an interview where like, well, like we listened, we actually tried, and like the market wasn't there, so like they kind of Complete beat agents. I don't know. I don't remember, but yeah, no, they they have said that before. He didn't. I don't think he named a specific game. Oh, it was a reason why. I feel like it was a reason why they weren't bringing Mother Three over. Mm. No, because there's definitely market for that. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, you're you're right. That did happen. Just, I just I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Operation Rainfall game does sound familiar. It could have been like Pandora's Tower, or The Last Story. 
Because yeah. Xenoblade, They're, which was the third of the three of the of the like Holy Trinity of Operation Rainfall, uh, did well enough to get that sequel on the sequel, yeah, the other God one Collector's one. Edition. So, well, I mean, Pandora's Tower, that one was published by Nintendo. I remember Last Story was published yeah. by someone else. Uh, no, uh, both of them, I believe, they handed off to Exceed. Mm. And in Japan, Nintendo was just strictly the publisher. Last Story was made by Mistwalker, which is the Final Fantasy Creators Independent Studio. Oh, yeah, last Story. Yeah, um, and exactly. So then Nintendo's like, we'll publish it, sure. And then Pandora's Tower, I don't remember what company made it, but it was a publishing thing with Nintendo as well. Mm. So Nintendo basically handed off the publishing rights to Exceed to take over. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... Unfortunately, I don't think it exceeded their expectations. No, I don't think they did particularly great. I could be wrong, but I mean those games exceed when they pick up those games. They know exceeds whole marketing plan is niche games and going after these yeah. tiny audiences with like JRPGs yeah, that only ten people are going to buy. Uh, which is why I'm surprised that Tokyo Mirage Sessions Nintendo publishing and just give to yeah, exceed. a lot of their games are very also like very limited release for that reason also. Yeah, because so. it exceeds like they're like uh, those movie studios that just put out like a couple movies, but they're like super like art house films. <laughs> like it's that sort of situation. Mm. But which is again why I wonder why Tokyo Mirage Sessions Nintendo did themselves unless they were forced into it somehow with their Atlas partnership. But because that game did not do particularly well for Nintendo, as I'm sure you can imagine, even with the collector's edition and the soundtrack and the book and all that. Yeah. But but yeah, um, one game that's bound to do well though, this transition top notch. Unlike those games, one game that's bound to do well is Pokemon Sun and Moon. Huh, what makes you say that? And I say that because it's Pokemon. And there's so much hype around it. Every time Pokemon Company puts out new information, every two weeks, as they always do, there's always a whole wave of people talking about it. Granted, with the game coming out in only a month, I think the the information they're putting out is becoming less and less significant and more and more just like, hey, check out these new Pokemon. But they're still managing to announce things. In fact, the day after this podcast goes live, or two days later, maybe on October 4th, this goes up, I think, the 2nd, but on October 4th, um, they're going to have another wave of news, but we'll talk about the wave that just happened. Um... Yeah, it's less significant. This is actually the first time I think that they had bad news as well as good news, like actual bad news, not just like something you may not like, but legitimately disappointing news for anyone that's really into the Pokemon world. So first we'll do the good stuff. Uh, it's kind of more about returning features. So just running through it real quick. Full character customization is back. You can do eyes, hair, hats, whatever. New thing, you can change the dye of your clothes, which I assume means the color. Yeah. I don't know why they call it the dye, unless it's like some sort of tie-dye motif. But which weirdly tie-dye is making a comeback. We were at Disneyland. Remember last week when we were at Disneyland, like half the shirts in the store had like a weird tie-dye situation going yeah, on. Everything looked like they were like dipped in acid and the color was wearing off. But yeah, it, maybe it was like that that Suicide Squad influence. Mm. You know, Suicide Squad just keeps trucking along. It's it's that it's that movie that no one thought would after the reviews, no one thought would do that great, but it managed to bump Iron Man in the list of best movies well, ever. I mean, movies don't have to be great to make or a lot of money. Selling. I mean, just look at. Any Alvin and the Chipmunks movies? I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, but those make a ton of money yeah. in spite of everything. Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. It's actually not like Suicide Squad's weird. Like, it's not good, but it's not horrible. It's like there, hmm. I guess. Like, there's some moments that are great. Anyway, yeah, so you can customize your characters again. Uh, they're also bringing back the Nintendo style Pokemon Ami mode. But they gave it a new name and some tweaks. I'm kind of sad that they changed the name. I like Pokemon Me. Now it's just called Pokemon Refresh. And well, it's... Because they're not in France anymore. I know, but it's just such a good name. It sounded... It just rolled off the tongue very well, Pokemon Me. It sounded like some sort of Pokemon spin-off concept. Are you into Pokemon? No, I'm more into Pokemon Me. Have you tried that one? 
they all wear berets or whatever. Mm. But uh, well, yeah, so Pokemon Refresh, they did tweak it a little. Now you have to clean your Pokemon. It's more about refreshing them after battle than anything else. Uh, you can still care for them and whatnot, but you're cleaning them up, you're blow-drying them, you're feeding them pokey beans and curing status conditions. Uh, and the, uh, just like with Pokemon Me, the more you do with your Pokemon, the more attached it goes to you and the better it gets at battle, primarily in the sense of being able to dodge attacks easier or, you know, um, holding out longer if they're on the verge of fainting or that sort of thing, just oh, like yeah. it was in the last game. That was the thing. Yeah. But the best part of the trailer that revealed this stuff was definitely when they were blow-drying the newcomer Pokemon, Oranguru. So it's, this, it's like this burly gorilla-looking thing. It's like an thing. orangutan, right? He's a orang- psychic one? Well, it's weird because he looks more like a gorilla to me. But yes, he's an orangutan. He's a purple and white orangutan. He stands pretty much like a human. Like, he's pretty, like, he has a very interesting, two-footed. Um, I guess exclusive attack, the one that, I guess it's, I forgot what it's called, Instruct. It, yeah. It looks like it just makes your partner Pokemon, like, in a double battle. It looks like a, a double battle exclusive poke move. Or, actually, I don't know. It just looks like it makes you, it makes them use the move they use last. So, kind of like Encore, but... I don't know. I could see it being helpful in doubles, but I'm wondering if you can even use it on the opponent. Like, if you have to do two Thunderbolts oh, back-to-back. Because he may not have yeah. a move that's super effective, but you want your opponent to attack twice. Right. I mean, you want your partner to attack twice, so... I mean, that's what they were showing. Like, he made yeah. the Pokemon you surf twice. But they're also showing him getting blow-dried. And he did not look like he enjoyed <laughs> it. And it was my favorite part of the trailer. Like, because that, like, they show Pokemon Fresh, like, care for your Pokemon. And it's a picture of him looking super pissed off with his blow-dryer going up and down his fur. Is is pretty great, but uh, but yeah, that is kind of interesting. Does the other guy? So Orangaroo's exclusive to Moon, and then mm-hmm. Sun has its own ape Pokemon called a Passimian. What was the, his special? Move? Was his his wasn't as cool? I feel rugby like rugby monkey. Was that what it was? Oh no, um, he. Uh, I I think he just had like item toss or something. I don't Which know. is super boring. I mean, oh yeah, just, rugby monkey because he had the ball. With yeah, him. He, yeah, yeah, he just throws stuff. I'm assuming like he could he could probably just. I don't know, because a lot of Pokemon already have a move that just tosses their item. Like, it's just right. playing. But, I don't know. Yeah, like, it just seems like... He didn't like really it, seem as interesting as... Um, I agree. Orangaroo. But everything else about Sun, I like more. Like, the it being set during the day when it's during the day. Like, the not-12-hour thing. The, the, the... I don't know. Everything about Sun seems better, except Oranguru. So, I guess I've got to find someone with Moon and trade. But you don't like Oranguru? No, I like Oranguru. Everything seems better about Sun except oh. Oranguru because he's over in Moon. They need to move him to Sun. I don't want Passimian or whatever. He's okay, but Oranguru is where it's at. I want a monkey that doesn't want to be blow-dried. And I want to blow-dry that monkey. <laughs> and I can't in Sun, so I need Moon. Uh, or I need a game for Moon. But they also announced, uh, speaking of different characters or different Pokemon each version, uh, Rockruff has different evolutions in Sun and Moon, which is the the, the Sun one looks like an evolution of a dog, which makes sense because he's a puppy. But then the Moon one, he looks like some sort of demented hyena or something. Well, you just want to go with werewolf. Yeah, I guess it's but, kind of werewolfy, but like, well, I mean, it makes sense. Are very like I mean, hyenas make, from Lion King. I mean, King. it makes sense given the name Lycan Rock, Lycan yeah. being werewolf. Yeah. So. But yeah, I think what you mean. I mean, I don't know. They, they look like. Yeah, I mean, they look they like evolutions just, of a dog. Yeah. But I, f- I feel like this is the part where we're hitting the lull in Pokemon news where Pokemon companies just like, well, we got a month more. Let's just keep that, pumping out some new was Pokemon. That, was that like Toyota's slogan? What? Like, like a rock? No, that's uh, uh, Chevy Trucks. There you go. Yeah. Because that's pretty much his name. Like yeah. a rock. Uh, uh, they signed a deal and he's going to be the spokesman now. But how great would that be if you're watching like, you're like the most like American dude. You're watching your football. You got your Bud Light. Truck ad comes on. It's like, yeah, built for tough. I like that. And then it's like Chevy trucks, and it's like a Pokemon pitching you. 
how weird would you feel at that moment? What would your reaction mm. be as like the red blood American? Pleased? Oh, Pleased? as a red blood American. As a red blood American, I feel like you'd be very um, confused. I would scoff. Yeah, that's probably right. But as a normal us, I'd be like, this is awesome. Yep. Yep. Uh, that brings us to the bad news, I guess. Not It doesn't really bring us to it, but that, that's what well, we have left. I there was bad news, do tell. Well, I, I guess it's not horrible, but you can inter- – it's bad, but the reason's good. So the bad news is Pokemon Bank does not work with Sun and Moon day and date. Pokemon Bank, which was supposed to work with every Pokemon game going forward for three months, will not work with Sun and Moon. It won't come out till – the support won't come out till January. Hmm. The reason is – it's got a new feature. It's actually kind of cool. It's called the National Pokedex. And what it's going to let you do is it will read the save data from any compatible Pokemon Bank title and collect it into Pokemon Bank about all the Pokemon you've caught. So whether they're in Bank or not in Bank, in theory, that means you know which ones you have in each game, whether you imported them or not. And it will list all their Pokedex entries. It will list their descriptions. It will all be kind of this one. It would be like an encyclopedia of the Pokemon you have, regardless of if you manually transferred them or not. At least that's my understanding of it. And you can also then use an updated version of the Poke Transporter, which for the first time will work with the virtual console versions of Red, Blue, Yellow on the 3DS, and you can bring in your Pokemon from Red, Blue, Yellow. So they're adding all 151 original ones, compatibility for them, into Pokemon Bank, which means it can then be transferred into Sun and Moon. Yeah. So those are good reasons to, to have to delay Pokemon Bank, but you would think they would want that there closer to day and date with the game. That is kind of a bummer, but at the same time, I don't mind it, and I feel it's kind of nice to not let people use Pokemon Bank right that off is the bat, the because that way you're kind of forced to get to know get to know the new Pokemon, which is um what the games kind of did anyway. Um, I remember, I think up until you hit like a certain point in the game, they don't even let you trade with people, yeah. just because like they're pretty much saying like, oh no, you gotta. Use these new Pokemon. You got to play the game with what you have here. Yeah, they've always done that. Where it's like you have to have, I think, like two badges and like mm-hmm. basically you didn't. We weren't able to trade until your Pokemon yeah. somewhere in level yeah, twenty. Yeah, pretty much like they, they they have to curve the difficulty that way. Otherwise, they like, you could destroy the whole game and pretty much make yeah. it a walk and boring. I mean, I think the only exception are um, event Pokemon. So, like, I went to GameStop and I got the. Oh, I can't remember actually making out the name. It's like that Pokemon that's like a diva. It's like a singing one. Oh, trans- silky dress looking, green hair. Yeah, it's green hair. Well, and also uh, uh, brown hair. She transforms yeah, into two. Um, Meloetta. That, there you go. Sure, I never would have guessed that in a million years. <laughs> oh, well, Meloetta, I remember um, I got the Meloetta, and I think I was still, like, within the first gym. So, right. like, I've been playing the game with, like, a level 50 Meloetta Pokemon Black it was. So you're, so you're cheating. Well, it doesn't listen half the time, so. Ah, right, because you don't have the badge to tame yeah. it. But it does make, I mean, when it does feel like attacking, it does kill everything when it hits. So. Right, right. See, that, that's that's the thing. Is like, if you put an artificial obstruction in the game to be able to trade or use Pokemon Bank, that makes sense. But for me, someone's going to beat the game. Like, Pokemon Bank, half its purpose might be, well, I guess how often would you trade in Pokemon from Pokemon Bank unless you were trying to trade up, train up the perfect team after you already beat the game? Yeah. So maybe it's not that critical. But three months does seem like a long time. I mean, the upside is they get a second wave of attention in January where they launched this and they could promote it yeah. again after the holidays. But feels like, to me, something that should have maybe been there day and date if they could have. Yeah. And I assume huh. it's technical reasons that they did, not like uh, some sort of weird pacing. It's not, I don't think it's a Splatoon situation where like we're intentionally rolling out things down the road so the game has longer lifespan. Like because this doesn't seem like that would do that as much 
as like you know entirely yeah, new three game months modes. Is kind of a long time. There's something like we'll this. probably beat it in like a few weeks. Yeah, and then yeah. Be, well, I kind of want to keep using my old team. Right, right. Um, and then I integrate sh- my new Pokemon. I really should have found a quote for this. I, mean, I should have found the source for this, but, um, hmm. but I remember. I guess this is more good news, more many for me. For Sun and Moon. Yeah, for Sun and Moon. Um, I guess we got someone a higher up in the Pokemon company essentially confirmed Megas. Like, I think I saw that. Yeah, like, like they out, sort of like, did, like, but didn't intend to. Yeah, like outside of that, um, that advertising that I mentioned, I don't remember how many podcasts ago that there was a Mega Glalie right there. That, yeah. Like, okay, it's surrounded by Sun and Moon Pokemon. Like, it can't be. An can't accident. be a coincidence. But then, um, the president, I guess, he was talking about um a Pokemon in Sun and Moon that has soundproof, and he was saying like, oh, this is a good ability because it's effective against, um. Like, Pokemon moves like Mega Gardevoir's Hyper Voice. So, it's like, why would he specifically call out a Mega Unless, you're going to hate me for saying this, unless he's talking about tournament play and he went down the road where you can be transferring Pokemon back and forth to build your ideal team for the Pokemon League World Championships or whatever, and he was saying in those circumstances it's a good move. I doubt it. I mean, why else would I mean, obviously, Sunny Moon will have to support Megas for battle, but I don't know if they're going to be in the game's natively so to speak oh no i mean like i'm pretty sure like you're just gonna be a shop or something where you just oh, buy all yeah. your mega stones because i doubt they're gonna or maybe they'll just sprinkle them around like they did in the past few games right that's gonna be have to find it could them. be part of the fetch quest because remember the, the structure of the game is totally different where yeah. like you're going island to island doing weird little tasks it could be find the mega stone and then you have it in your back pocket when you need yeah, it because i mean if they're gonna incorporate megas in any way they have to they, they have to, they have to do, do it right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, especially if it's for a tournament setting, you can't just, like, say, like, all right, Megas are only available, like, for these limited times. I don't know. Like, you right. have to, they have to be always available. Unless they literally just mean... Oh, no, yeah, they have to be in the game because you can't even put items in the... In, in the bank. In, in Pokemon banks. So you can't transfer Megas. You can put them if you're hold, held by a Pokemon. I don't think so. No? I thought uh, you could. I don't think you can. Maybe not. I actually don't have a Pokemon bank subscription, so I wouldn't know. Like, I think you can with other, but I don't think you could transfer Megastones. Oh. Oh, well then, yeah, they'd have to be in the game natively. Because yeah. I think you could give them, like, Pokeballs or a bunch of any other item, but I don't think it works with Megastones. Right. Well, that's good news for you, because that was, like, a thing that well, you've talked about. that's, about. like, that would be, like, 50% of the reason why I would, that would make me want the game. So, you could say, I just need that other half, which is Everything. compelling Pokemon. Are there no compelling Pokemon for you? You don't like Alolan um, Executor? Are yet, you going to disappoint the president of the Pokemon Company by not liking his favorite? I mean, as of yet, no. Like <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those, like, I mean, it doesn't even have I mean, to be yeah. a whole cast. It just has to be one. Yeah, honestly, either it resonates or it doesn't. There's no way yeah. that you can, like, force yourself I to I mean, resonate. that's why I didn't get um, Black and White. I mean, we got Black and White together on Walmart, like, with many years later. And I remember, I think you probably even still have it in Shrink Wrap. No, I've played it. Thank you very much. You not wow. much. But yes... But yeah, that's why I, I, I got to the second like, gen. There were, yeah, I guess like no Pokemon really resonated with me from that same generation. That's why I waited till but the Diamond. Second I mean, gen. Diamond had a ton. I just love that generation so much. See, but, I feel like the Alolan one really resonates. But with Alolan, me. oh yeah, X and Y also had. Well, that was also kind of X and Y was kind of a hodgepodge. The, there were some that I really liked in X and Y, and there were some that were just. Well, I mean, I either really like them or don't care. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any Pokemon that I actively dislike except. For battle reasons, just because, like, oh, God, it's, like, a pain to kill them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the bir- those birds come close? Like, the ones that have all those variations? Right, the different... I- there's three birds, three islands. They all look different and dance differently. Four birds, yeah. Or four birds, I, right? I, I like I like the idea of them, but, yeah, no... no they chat- designed no- into it. Yeah, no no, no chat yet. No chat yet. 
Yeah, I guess that, that's tricky because, like, I mean, I've said on the show before, but this generation of Pokemon is resonating with me a lot more than some of the last previous ones have. I mean, like, every few episodes, I feel like there's one Pokemon, like, this is the best one, like, Drampa, or now I'm, like, a Ranguru. Like, every single time, like, ah, that's the guy right there, and it keeps happening. So I guess for me, it's a good generation. But mm-hmm. to each their own, that's one that, you know, you can't, you can't be like, well, I'll force myself to like it. Because, like, that's why I didn't play Ruby and Sapphire that much, looking back. That's the first Pokemon I started playing less. Granted, it was only Gen 3, but still. Because the Pokemon were fine and all, but, like, it didn't click in the same way that, like, Gold and Silver's Pokemon did. And I was still in, like, my peak Pokemon mode at that point. Like, I was still super into Pokemon, but just didn't click in quite the same way. Mm. So, so we will see, I guess, for you. There's a mu- they have six weeks, five weeks, six weeks, to convince you to get Sun and Moon on launch day. So they have one more announcement, like I was saying, coming up this week with probably some new Pokemon. And then they have a couple more scattered throughout the next month or so. So it's now or never, Pokemon Company. If you want to convince one half of the Ramtail podcast to buy your game... The other half already said yes, you but if you want the full thing? 100%, this is your time. Um, every Pokemon, like, there's a list, like, on their official website, I think it's specifically the Japanese one, where yeah. it shows all the Pokemon that have Alolan forms, mm-hmm. and they also have a list well, of a bunch of... Well, so far. No, no, so far, yeah. yeah, so far. And they also have, like, the list of all the Pokemon that just, that just appear on the island right, that right. don't have Alolan forms, but all, so far, all those Pokemon are Pokemon that have Mega Forms, or Mega Evolutions. Huh. Like, cause, like, there's, like, uh, oh, no! There's some that don't, but for most of there's a bunch of them on there that do. So it's like, huh, are these Pokemon also getting Megas or... Maybe. I don't know, it's weird. They have five weeks to announce it. I mean, it. Pinsir's there. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're currently Pinsir. confirmed Mega Gardevoir. Yeah, so time will tell. Time will tell. You know what else you have to wait for more information on to switch gears a bit? The next entry in the BitTrip series, which I know this is out of left field, but uh, in a bit of indie news, the gang over at Choice Provisions, who you previously may know as Gaijin Games, made a surprise announcement that they are working on a Runner 3 that will come out in 2017. It's, appropriately enough, the third entry in the BitTrip spin-off Runner games. If you recall, it was BitTrip Runner, and that was Runner 2, Future Legend of Alien... Rhythm Alien. Rhythm Alien Action, or something like that. And now they're doing Rhythm... Or, I mean, sorry, Runner 3. We don't know what system it's for. We don't know the art style. We don't know the gameplay. All we know is Charles Martinet, as in, yes, the Mario voice, is again going to be doing voice acting for it. And they are going to make the challenge a bit more balanced. If you want challenge, you can still have challenge. If you want not as much challenge, because Runner 2 did get kind of hard, they will have ways for you to not hit a wall quite as fast. That's literally all we know. But it's happening, and Runner 2 is super good, so I'm holding out hope that this is also going to be super good. I mean, actually, if you've never played Runner 2, I know you have, Angel, but for those listening, it's only uh, 740... 749 on the eShop right now. It. Yes, it's very good. We paid full price for it and like immediately recommended it. So at half price, get it. It's really good. But um, my point was, Runner 2... Runner 2 does the, its concept so well that I can't really think of what Runner 3 can do to enhance that. Like It's a, it's a, it's a good problem to have when your game is so good that coming up with a sequel makes people wonder what could you possibly do. The one theory I have is I, the logo for Runner 3. I don't know. Did you see the like teaser trailer they put out? It's like no. 10 seconds long. The logo for Runner 3 at the end has – you know how Runner 2 has like the one arrow pointing right in the logo? Yeah. This logo has arrows pointing every which way, up, down, left, right. So I'm wondering if maybe they're like, well, we mastered left to right. Now let's go real crazy and have people go up walls, down walls, backwards, forwards, in the screen, out of the screen. Like maybe it's just like the paths get crazy. I mean, still, it's auto-running, so you're still, you know, going yeah, in a I mean, set it direction, would be but more of just a visual, it's a visual yeah. thing. But they can get, but given how creative they got just with the idea of moving right, imagine what they could do if they have, like, a full every-which-way approach. 
could be cool. Yeah. But after that, though, it's, like, it's not like now they're writing themselves into a corner. Like, after that. I see what you did there. They ran themselves into a corner? I Wait. said writing themselves. Oh, I thought said ran themselves into a corner. Yeah, but that was too. I mean, um, they are hitting the ground running with this running runner three, so. Or maybe they hit the ground running too hard with runner two, which is why now runner three, you're like, where are they going to do next? They've run out of places to Well, go. I mean, they're going to go. It's, it's kind of like Mario Galaxy, like, what's the next? Mario Universe? Like, yeah, and then instead much... they went the other way and put in box and called it Mario 3D Land and World. Yeah, it's like you kind of, like, like they wrote themselves into a corner, it felt like. Yeah. Because yeah. they, yeah, you can't really go beyond that. Exactly. So I'm, I'm hopeful runner three would or be they cool. Can. Just to surprise us. So. Yeah, it, it seems like it'd be cool. Like, I, Runner 2 is really good. And, I mean, there's not much to say about it except that they announced it and we're excited. It's not even confirmed for Nintendo Systems yet, but I imagine this could be on NX. If there was any indie dev that would have access to NX dev kits already, I feel like it would be uh, these guys. Choice Provisions, formerly Gaijin, Gaijin Games. Um, but the, 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 the other reason I brought this up, actually, was because it's a good segue from news to what we've been playing. Because what we've been playing is indie stuff, primarily. And we stay tuned to the end after our impressions of these indie games because we're also going to do our retrospective about the N64 and it turned 20 and what that means for Nintendo now and then in our memories. Because N64 is my first home console that I ever owned. So for me, it's a very significant console. And I know for you, it was your second? Yeah. Yeah, so it's still like up there. So we'll talk about that after. But first, we're going to do what we're playing and finish up like modern day stuff. And then we'll move back 20 years and talk N64. So I think we should start... With, we both played both of these games, which these days is less common, I feel like. We usually alternate, like, I played this, you played that, but we have both played both. And I feel like we should start with the one that is somehow number one on the eShop, Wii U, Wii U eShop software uh, download charts. Probably because it's free. And that is the... Uh, horrific? Is that an appropriate word? For a skunk bundle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is something else. So, for those who don't know... It comes with five games. It costs $25 normally, but up through yesterday, or up through Friday, up through the 30th of September, it was for free instead of $25. And now, it's $25 again. So, I don't know. On one hand, I feel like their idea is we'll rank, we'll put up the software charts for free, and it'll rise, like, we'll put up, it'll rise up the charts because it's free, and then when it's $25, people will be like, why is this number one? And buy it. But on the other hand, I have this theory that the first skunk bundle is a masterful tr- exercise in trolling by a small group of internet people that thought they could get away with it and then somehow actually did. Like, it is trolling from start to finish. Like, you turn on the game, and the first thing it does is play a piano cover, illegally, I might add, of Green Day's Time of Your Life. The game is saying you're going to have the time of your life while playing it, and you do not. So that's warning flag number one, that this is trolling. Warning flag number two is the game is called the Skunk Bundle. The first Skunk Bundle. It is the second Skunk Bundle. They came out with a minigame bundle at the beginning of the year that was called Minigame Mania or something like that. So the first Skunk Bundle isn't even the first Skunk Bundle. The developer, Skunk Games, has two of them. So there's another weird thing. Number three, the developer of Skunk Games, is slow, their slogan is literally stinking up the competition. Why would you call yourself Skunk Games, and why would you say that unless you're messing with people? And number four, all five games suck. <laughs> well, they don't really suck. I mean, it's, it's weird in that if you're trying to troll people, like, where, where is it, what determines if a game is successful or not? If you're trying to troll people, and you make five games that people feel like don't deserve their time and energy and money, and your goal is to trick them into playing them, and they played them, 
did you succeed? Is it actually a well-developed game? They, your goal is to trick people or to troll people or to make the worst possible game specifically for it to be bad. Is it like one of those B-tier movies where it's like so bad it's good? Or is it like – it? I? it's a philosophical mm, question. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some of these games are just so – they're so bad you start laughing. Like well, you're laughing definitely at them. Out, yeah. But that's kind of their intention on some of them, I feel like. It's weird because like – so there are five games. I would say two of them are legit bad and three of them are just boring. Yeah. Or have, like, weird glitches that prevent them from being good or missing a key thing that make them good. So we never – I don't think we ever really bad mouse games. But, like, first Skunk Bundle is such a weird case because it was free and, like, it's kind of a trolling exercise by the developers. I feel like we can so we tear into it. it I, yeah, I'm assuming. But I'm safely assuming, I feel like. Uh, so I don't know if we should just talk through all five. Just give a sense, of, like, maybe these games are successful because they're, what they're doing is – they're accomplishing the goal they may have set out. And if well, so, I mean, in a weird backwards way, props to I mean, them. I would have never considered this unless, I mean, be, yeah, unless it was free, free. And it was free, so. Yeah. I mean. So why don't we start with the worst of the bunch, which um, we sat and played together, which was a Haunted Hotel. So would you like to discuss this one a little? I know I was the one physically playing, but you witnessed everything. Yeah, the game is. Well, it just looks like someone went to through a like a library of just CG assets. Like they went through like a game maker, and then they're just like, "All right, I'm just gonna grab this chair, grab these models, and just like stick them here, add some random text, and have a grungy sounding looping Hotel California cover playing the entire time." Yeah, that's one. That's one thing about the first Gunk Bundle that I am shocked it's even on the eShop is they have so much definitely not legal to use music. They have a cover of Green Day, like I said. They have the Hotel California Rock re- remix, which, by the way, it's only about five minutes long, and it's the only song in all of the Haunted Hotel game, which means you hear it. We beat the game in, what, 25 minutes? 35 minutes? So we heard it at least six or seven times, probably more. And it's not good. Yeah, the game doesn't even make sense. Like, you're supposed to go all the way upstairs. There's these, like, NPCs that... Just say random stuff, but they say it really loudly because, like, the sound balancing is terrible. Yeah, so the music will be like, da, 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 and then it'll be like, hey! It's like, whoa, wait, which is it? Which volume are you? And there's some parts where, like, I guess there's trigger spots on the floor that make a... It's supposed to be a jump scare, but I don't know. It just doesn't really work. And... So here's what... Yeah, so so you're walking around. So the, the, the I guess the basic premise of the game, for those who want to know, because you, for some reason, want to play this, they're calling it a first-person exploration game. Your goal is to get to the top of the hotel which is haunted, hence the name Haunted Hotel. And uh, you just go floor to floor. You find a key. Sometimes the key's on the bed in the hotel room. Sometimes the key's on a shelf in the bathroom. Sometimes the key's on a table next to the bed in the hotel room. Sometimes the just floating there Sometimes the the key's just floating in midair. And you grab the key. They go over to the door. You unlock the door, which, by the way, requires a separate press of a button, which I've never seen in a video game. And then you go up the stairs, and then, oh, the floor looks almost identical to the one you were just on, except one little difference and one little key placement change. And you do it again. And it was like 10 floors. They get progressively more different and weird. But they're still all the same cookie cutter. And then when you get to the top, should we spoil the ending? Yeah. Skip ahead two minutes if you don't want to hear the ending. It's Trust me. Okay, so you, you get to the top. You get to the final key. You open the door. And there's two people there, two models. They dance, sort of. Well, they just like kind of extend their body and then constrict once and then... twice. Twice. Each of them do it in tandem twice. They are synchronized. And then it flashes a random JPEG of a skunk game logo. And then the game's over. There's no boss fight. You can't ever get hurt. There are bugs you encounter as you walk around. They don't hurt you. 
the jump scares that you're talking about are literally transparent PNG files of a face that if you step over a part, just goes on the screen and there's a scream sound yeah, effect. Yeah, so you could literally walk back and forth on that spot. I just, walked over it, yeah. what, 25 times? <laughs> just back and forth and back and forth. And that is literally the entire game. You can't die. You can't get hurt. You can't collect anything but keys. If you try and open a door when it's not locked or when it is locked and you don't have the key, the, the sound effect of opening the door is longer than the majority of the game, I would say. <laughs> it's like you knock and then you bang there. You like shake the doorknob. And like there have been times that we – like I try and open a door. It wouldn't open. I'd go get the key. I'd come back. I'd open the door. And the sound effect for trying to unlock it the first time or trying to open it when I didn't have the key was still playing. Like, it's like a good 20-something seconds. So it's it's the best of the bundle in that it is by far the worst and you will get the most laughs out of it. Yeah, like, the dialogue's uh, stupid. The, it's definitely one of those games that are like, here, hey, hey, friend, here's a game for you to play. If we were smart, we would have, like, vi- take taped us playing it or like recorded us playing it and and put that up online alas. somewhere but alas we are not smart so that that's my favorite of the first skunk bundle for all the wrong reasons to be clear it is not a good game the hit collision stuff is even weird like the collision detection is even weird in case you're wondering the gamepad does nothing it just mirrors the tv you hear hotel california on loop there's a weird room you can go into where it gets a little fourth wall breaking and there's a dude who's like Dude, you're staying in front of the TV, or you're in front of the TV, and he's like watching TV in his hotel room. But the way it's angled, he's facing you, like out to the TV. So I'll give him credit for that. That was I was like, ah, fourth wall, huh? But yeah, no, the rest is not. Also, the humor is so lowbrow. Oh, yeah. in the whole bundle, like they swear for for no real reason. There's like all sorts of like, I guess bathroom humor. Yeah, toilet humor. Toilet humor. That's the term I was looking matter, for. A lot of yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know why it exists. But yeah, so that's Haunted Hotel. Uh, do you, you played Zombie Epic, which is the other, I would say, highlight, low light, key yeah, game it's, in, it's the, the in the other. Thing. I don't know. I guess the one they tried the most on. Did Com- they? Well, Did they though? Compared to the other ones. <laughs> oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Snake. Yeah, like that's true. That's literally just Snake, snake but but with bad collision detection. Yeah, which, and, I guess we'll talk about Snake. And, real and quick. kind of a weird frame. So I mean, it's just Snake. It's boring. It doesn't. But anything. it has no music. It looks like the cell phone game. Like, literally, the screen is like an old Game Boy where it's, like, greenish, white, and black. And you can play Snake all you want, but don't snake back and forth too fast or else you'll hit yourself in a way that I've never seen a snake. Like, you don't even have to have that many pixels on you. Because, you know, Snake, you collect, you slit, you move around, you collect the pieces they are added to you, you just can't collide with yourself. But if you go left-right on the D-pad, instead of it knowing, oh, you're doubling back above where you were or whatever, it will just game over you. So it yeah it's not it's not good but zombie epic zombie epic we were gonna talk about that mm. also what are these names haunted hotel zombie epic like they're not even creative yeah this game is just a it's a top down twin stick shooter so one analog control moves the character the other analog points where you want to shoot and you hold down the trigger to shoot and that's pretty much all there is to it it's like oh but that intro the, the, the game is just like four screens. Literally, um, it has a. Sh- they describe the story mode as a short story mode, and it is only four screens. Yeah, it's really <laughs> short, really cryptic too. We actually, we actually didn't even figure out how to beat it until like our fourth attempt, mm-hmm. just because there's just no way to know. Like there are hidden doors, like it's impossible. But I mean, we did beat it, and uh, we should probably talk about how it starts. It starts with like a narration, something about the the government released an airborne virus, and like I have right now, I followed this communal pack. 
and now they're skinning me alive, what should I do? Should I kill the butcher or should I let here and die or stay here and die? If you choose stay here and die, the game just ends. Yeah, it just has game over. Like literally, that's and the then end you just start game. over and listen to that whole monologue. Every time and you die, long. every time you die, every time you start over, every time you do anything, you have to listen to that three minutes of dialogue. And if to you, be clear, well, if you die within the first screen, after that, you yeah, just oh, that's reading. true. But to be clear, when we say listen to the dialogue, that's literally all you can do. The screen is blank. The screen just shows like some grit with a streak of blood across it. There's no animation. There's no subtitles. There's just a splotch of hmm. blood and a guy going like, the government released an airborne virus. What's the difference between? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you choose to kill the butcher, do you remember the actual joke? I kind of remember. Like, what's the difference between, like, uh, a choking a choking person and a stop sign? I think it's what's line? the difference between, uh, yeah, strangling a person, cutting a person's throat and a red, and a, and a red light. You stop for one and not the other, or something super mm-hmm. dumb like that. Yeah, and it's just like, oh yeah, I stopped for the red light. That's what it was. But it's just like, it was yeah. So then you do the story mode. You have your four screens. You get to the fourth screen, and that just dumps you into the game's other mode, which is survival mode. Yeah. And survival does. mode has you playing as two characters back to back, set to a piano cover again, probably legal of "Stand by Me." Because get it, they're standing by each other. Again, a sign this is kind of a trolling thing. Like, they're making wisecracks about the game in the music. Um, and yeah, it's just hordes of enemies. And you see how long you can last. The thing is, it goes from, like, very easy to you're dead. There are too many enemies in about 30 seconds. Like, there's no actual... There's no scorekeeping. There's no health. You, you, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all there is. Yeah, that's that game. Yeah, so that's Zombie Epic. And then there's Snake, which we already talked about. Which, oh, we should clarify. It's not just Snake. It's... Snake classic <laughs> to justify the bad graphics and lack of music, I guess. And then there's the two that like aren't bad, but just are boring. Yeah. Like these two almost undermine my whole trolling thing. These two almost feel like they were actually trying and then just gave up. Or perhaps all these were going to be ori- originally be separate games. And they're like, or we can make 25 bucks. We put them all together. So there's catchy, which is a, uh, it's 50 levels. And you're inside, it kind of looks like a pyramid. pyramid. It's like that game Pyramid for uh, DSi, I think. Or early, mm-hmm. no, not DSi, early 3DS on the eShop. Was it called Pyramid? It was called Pyramid. Yeah, so you're a little explorer. You're just going to the end of, you have to go to the end of these floating platforms. And you're wa- it's 3D, like behind the back, you're walking into the screen. Um, and yeah, you just have to like jump over moving gaps and kind of navigate you around. Cap- you get through every level, you have to grab the relic. And then right. an elevator will come down and then you go down to the next level. And that's it. And it's very, like, cell phone games, like, smartphone game style where, like, you know, it's broken up into, like, little challenges, like how Cut the Rope is or yeah. Angry Birds, where it's kind of individualized. Um, but it's, re- like, the character moves really slow. The character's very slow. When you jump, you kind of float weirdly. It's weird. Um, the collision detection is questionable. Uh, like, there are times I was like, oh, I landed on the platform and I just kind of went through it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, not even bad. It's just boring. Yeah, like, after, like, Three or four levels were just like, oh, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah, and it was 50 of them. Which, by the way, the developer says are heart pounding. I don't know whose heart is pounding, but they need yeah. something more exciting in their life, I swear. <laughs> and um, and the last game is Bomb Blaster. Which is, quite frankly, in terms of production and in terms of gameplay, is probably the best of the bunch. It could pass for a meh real game. Yeah. Like, it's so, it's Angry Birds without the slingshot, basically. Yeah, you just drag and drop bombs. You could drag and drop as many bombs as you want at one time, depending on how many bombs you have. Yeah. 
And then you just detonate them, and you have to hope you launch all the little monsters off the screen, and that's it. Yeah, it's, so it's like, it's literally like if they were the pigs and angry birds, but instead of launching into them, you place the bombs, let them explode, and hope the physics work out. And the physics are pretty decent, and you do get, you do have to, like, drop the fewest bombs possible to get a gold medal to be able to unlock the next set of levels, because you need X number of gold medals. It's just like angry birds in that regard. But yeah, it's also just kind of boring, Yeah, for lack of a better word. Like, it's not bad, it's just not, there's nothing captivating about it. So, if First Gunk Bundle is somehow still free, I would encourage you, if you want a grand old horrible time, to download it specifically for Haunted Hotel and Zombie Epic, and then you get these other three games that you'll look at for two minutes and go, okay. But if it's not free, please, don't be tricked by the, twi- by the fact that's number one on the eShop when I last checked. That does not I make not it worth $25. It. it is not worth $25. It will never be worth $25. In fact, the developer should pay you $25 for having to suffer the anguish of playing these five games. Like, we never... Normally, we're not neg. I feel like on, we've done this show four and a half years. Normally, we're not negative. Like, if a game isn't good, we just we find the... the good qualities in it and point those out and discuss what's bad about it and kind of weigh them against each other. I don't know what redeeming qualities these games have and the fact that it feels like they are trolling us makes me just tear into it like I don't care. So, if you're one of the developers and you're somehow listening to us, sorry, but your game, if like, you, come on. Yeah, like, this is... You def- knew what you were doing. This is that game where you're like, yep, this is what happens when you let... Anything on yeah, the eShop. Anything on the e-shop. And then you're like, well, this is on Nintendo. Yeah, uh, at one point a game like this would never have been on a Nintendo system. But the problem for Nintendo is they don't they need whatever support they can get to some extent. So they have this open door policy about indie games where as long as it functions you can play it or you can put it on the system. That's why the Unity thing is there where they support Unity Engine, that's what Nintendo Web Framework's all about. Like it that their whole indie dev portal, the Nindy program, all that is this idea of gang games. And not every game's going to be good, of course. Like, the next game we're talking about, actually, kind of is a nice way to wash the taste of Skunk Bundle out of our mouth. Because Spherezo, which we'll get... Or Spherezor, apologies. Which we'll get to in a sec. It's actually pretty fun. So that's a good example of what Nintendo's trying to do. But there are going to be the bad apples in the bunch. And the problem is developers like Skunk Games, I think, are purposely taking advantage of the fact that Nintendo's letting the bad apples slip through. So hopefully no one pays for this thing. But if it is free, again, I encourage you to go play Haunted Hotel and Zombie Epic just for the absurdity of the, of it all. Like, do it with a friend. If you're by yourself, you're just going to find it boring. But if you're with a couple friends, it's extremely entertaining for all the wrong reasons. Yep. And that, I think, is all there is to say about First Gunk Bundle. So now let's switch over to the other... What? Yeah, Yeah, I think think we gave it more time than it deserves. But uh, let's switch over to the other Nindy game we were going to talk about. Also for Wii U, also on the eShop. This one, um, to be honest, I didn't know much about Spherezor when uh, I first got wind of it. But the developer actually reached out to us and said, hey, do you want to try it out? And we said yes, because why, you know, we like the fact that there are games on the eShop that, you know, especially ones that people may not know about that we can bring to their attention. So we checked it out, and it is actually really fun. It fits our theme of this episode, like keeping a classic better than I thought it would, in that it's an arcade throwback through and through. Yeah, it's, it's a it's just a very, it's a very simple game idea. You're just a sphere. You're dodging trizor. Name Spherezor. Spherezor. You're, dro- you're dodging the trizors and a bunch of other obstacles. And all you're doing is really just grabbing these cores and then... Power yeah. orbs. Power orbs. And whoever grabs, <laughs> depending on the difficulty, it changes how many are required for you to win. But first, so if you have to get 10, first to 10 wins. And then you move on to the next screen. And then yeah. first to get 10 there. Well, that's for screen. multiplayer. 
So it is, it's it's just to be clear, because this game, like, I don't think very many people know at all. Well, I mean, it's even, on a top-down, old-school well, arcade looking. I mean, that's, that's all you oh, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just yeah. grabbing the required number of power orbs, and then you just go And you move to the next level, and there's 70 levels in total, so it's actually, there's some heft to it. It, it reminds me a lot of, it has to pick up and play of, like, um, like old-school Bomberman. That's kind of yeah. how it was. It's like a faster Bomberman. Because um, the other day, like, we had some friends over, and we were just playing Bomberman, and it was just, it was, like, the from the... It was Barman 78, so I think it was... 94. 94? Barman was not a thing in 1978. <laughs> right. In fact, most video games were not a thing in 1978. Yeah, what were the consoles for? Genesis or Super Nintendo. No, it was on the virtual console, but it was the Turbo Graphics. Oh, Turbo Graphics, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it was for yeah. Turbo Graphics 16. And anyway, yeah, that game is really simple. We had a, like a ton of fun with it, and I feel like this is the kind of game that kind of fits that, where you yeah. just want to play like a party game with a bunch of people, but you don't want it to be... Like something complicated, something you can just pick up, really, pick up and play. Yeah, just pick up and play. Because sometimes, like Smash Brothers, works sometimes, but you have to need you need like everyone in the group to like it. Sometimes, like if you just have a if you have a casual friend over, like it's gonna be too much for them, or they'll just get bored. This I feel is right up there with um like Picto Party or those kind of games where you know you just could play for hours and not really. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's good because like the way the game is structured, it introduces new elements pretty regularly. So like at the beginning, it's top down. You're just kind of flying around. You use D-pad or analog sticks, just move about, and you're just collecting the power orbs. I just wonder where the, and that's kind of like, it. It looks like you move faster with the D-pad because it looks. Like, it seemed that way. Yeah, like when Jason, um, because we were going head to head. Yeah, we were going like we were, I guess, floating side by side, and you could <laughs> tell that mine was. Like, accelerating compared to his. Yeah. But maybe I just wasn't pressing the stick as far over. I don't know. I don't it's know. hard to say. But then I switched to D-pad. We were more equally matched. But, but yeah, it supports up to five people. But, yeah, you go through and, um, you know, you collect the power orbs. Every time you collect a power orb, another trizor spawns. So, in theory, the, the, or the way the difficulty works is um, there's, like, five modes of difficulty. And it's really just how many more power orbs can you get. I don't remember if you said this. And then the more... Yeah. The more power-ups there are, that means the more trizorbs will be on the screen, which means more things for you to dodge. So it's really the art of dodging. It's yeah, so game. honestly, the more people... The more are, people, the crazier it's going to be. Yeah, because um, they have an insane difficulty. It's literally called insane. They have, um, I think it's easy, normal, hard, hard and insane. insane. So four difficulties, And insane requires you to get 35 um, power-ups to continue onto the next screen. And yep. if you're playing with five people... I mean, if it becomes a close match, that's like about 30 powers per person. Because it's whoever's first point. to 35. Yeah, not, first to 35. Not a total. Commu- not cumulative. It's not co-op so at all. the screen will so. be completely... Like, Trizored out. Yeah. But the thing is also, um, if you run into a Trizord, if you get hit, you, I guess you crystallize and you're... For about mo- five seconds. Yeah, you can't move for five seconds. Which pretty much gives your opponent enough time to try to grab as many orbs as yeah. possible during your timeout. Zone. And the game does throw you a bone. Every single stage, you are given this gold glowy thing that if you grab, is kind of like the Pac-Man fruit, where it will then yeah. let you attack the Trizor back and knock him out. So, like, when we were going head-to-head, because I, I, I played solo for a while, and then we went head-to-head for a while, and if you... um. If you go solo, it's really easy to manage everything because, one, there's only you on the screen, and, two, you get that gold thing and you just stop paying attention to the crystals for a bit, or not the crystals, the uh, power orbs, and you just go after the trizors and just literally go on a hunting spree, and then you have a clear screen and you proceed forward. Of course, that does affect your high score because that's the other thing they haven't talked about is that multiplayer, it's all about who gets it first. Single player, you're, you get things about, like, I don't remember if there's a cumulative high score or not, but you get things about, like, how much time you spent and how many... You know, how far are you, how many Trizor, I believe, it, it counts. Um, I might be misremembering that. But, so there is like a little, there's a bit of stat tracking going on. But yeah. in traditional arcade sense, 
your progress is only when you're sitting there. If you do casual mode and you die, that's cool. You can continue where you left off and make your way throughout sunny stages. If you do the arcade mode, once you die, you restart from the beginning. Like, this is very old school in concept, in design, yeah. in execution. So, if you want to treat it as a cooperative thing, you can. But, because, I mean, if you have two people, if yeah. you get hit, you have those five-second cooldown, and then you're, yeah. you pretty much spawn back to life. But if the other people die while you are in that cooldown period, then the game ends. So, in theory, if you're playing with one person, I mean, if you're playing by yourself and you get hit, that's it. But if you're playing with four people, that's pretty much four chances to get to the next level. Right. I mean, if you want to think of it that way. Right, right. And, I mean, and it's cool because each, I was trying to say this before, but I got sorry on a tangent. Uh, each, every so often, there is new stuff introduced. So, like, with the best of old school games, you know, they take a very simple concept and then they iterate on it. So... 10 or 15 levels in, you start to see uh, movable walls that you could push one way or another. Yeah, and everything has 20 like, in, there's everything movable picks blocks. up momentum or like keeps yes. the inertia. So there's like, some inertia. Yeah, yeah, so if you push a block, it'll keep moving. And the trizor can also move the, the power the power orbs. Yeah, so there's actually strategy involved in that. A trizor may take an orb and be pushing it down towards one end. And then another trizor who's going in a different direction, because trizors, we've got to say, only go left, right, up, down. So they either have a path that's left, right, or they have a path that's up, down, wherever they're spawned. The game seems to spawn them kind of near the power orbs to give you that extra challenge of dodging. But it's not exclusively. There is some randomization. But they could push them around, and one can pass to another, to another, to another, in theory, just depending on where the trizors hit. But eventually, the inertia of the thing on its own will move it away from trizor. You can navigate through the trizors to get to it. So it's the inertia does play a big role. You wouldn't think it does. but And then mm-hmm. there's, like, blades and blocks and walls and you can like shove like we had a thing where we there's a like a, a movable piece going to the middle of the stage and we kept kind of pushing it back for us to block the other person from getting the tries or, or the power orb so it, it does get pretty competitive yeah, i think this game definitely um i guess fits groups of three or more like best yeah i mean we were was, just doing one-on-one yeah i mean it, it was fun one-on-one single but, player is pretty fun but, actually but i think like this kind of game um i would get the most enjoyment out of it with like big groups of people yeah. preferably like maxing out the five every time yeah That'd be really which cool. i feel like a lot of wii u owners i mean i would say us included like do we use the go-to multiplayer system for us like when we have people hanging out with us like you mentioned smash but also picked up party and uh tank 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 at one point which is free on the eShop if you don't have that and you know, there's Mario Kart, and there's all sorts of games, like Splatoon, Nintendo there's so Land. Nintendo, well, less Splatoon, actually, yeah, Nintendo Land, there's all sorts of multiplayer games, and I could see something like Spheres or easily rotating in to that Rumbo. repertoire, so to speak, Rumbo, yeah, like, it fit, it, this is the system it should be on, and it succeeds in what it's trying to do as being this multiplayer experience, and it's also cool, because it really does feel like an 80s throwback, the, the look of it's very, like, neon-soaked, it kind of has a, uh, the soundtrack, I mean, it you don't, for a game like this you don't need much of one yeah. so it's kind of just a loop but it does fit the vibe well like it does yeah. feel eighties so I feel like this game was made kind of as a tribute to simpler games of simpler times and I think it nailed it pretty well like it's it's good concept that they iterate on in a good way and it's fun to pick up and play yeah and I mean given the and like all things considered for ten bucks it's it's ten bucks on the eShop and for ten bucks you're getting like a pretty polished experience the physics makes sense the game is fun. There's not much in terms of story. There's not much in terms of anything like that. In fact, the only story we got was from its trailer, not from the game itself. But you're still getting like a pretty well-rounded experience for that price. So, uh, oh, because spheres, hey, yeah. But I, I would, I would recommend it, like especially if you have a Wii U that is more of a like your so your friends like get together Wii U, like yours a is communal a communal Wii U. I could see spheres are catching on with people. Definitely, it's fun. 
Yeah, especially for the simplicity, because, again, like, a lot of these other friends may not necessarily play video games all the time, so the simplicity definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, like, like we like understood. Literally, the, like, there is no, like, the buttons don't do anything except for the the curse, the D-pad or the analog. Yeah. So it's as simple as you can get, like. It kind of reminds me of Wii Play's tank mode, except not, not in gameplay, but, like, when you look at it, it looks kind of like the tank game from Wii Play, but then just put that on speed oh, and, I like, see. and then, like, have uh, direct control over yourself instead of firing, you know, through the projectiles, that's. The, the look of it's kind of similar, or the vibe of it, I guess. Yeah. Just way faster. And actually nothing like it, now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so pretend I didn't say that. But yeah, I, I would recommend it. It's worth checking out. Yep. And thank you to the uh, the guys that, um, who made it for passing along a code. It was, it was very fun to be able to check out. We appreciate that. Um, which brings us to, I think, our final topic of the podcast. Usually we stop at what we're playing, but we need to go back 20 years. We're going to bookend the episode. We started with the classics, the Classic Edition. We're ending it with a different Nintendo console that just celebrated its 20th anniversary here in the U.S. this past week, and that is the Nintendo 64, my very first console. Elvis's first console. I would say I would say the N64 made me the gamer I am more than the Game Boy did. Like Game Boy was fine. Actually, I take that back because I played Super Nintendo. I just never owned one. But I think the yeah no I, I'm sticking with it. The N64 turned me into the gamer I was. Like that's when I really started getting heavily invested in different games. Game Boy obviously had Pokemon and stuff. But N64 like. That I used to play every morning before school and every day after school. Like, that was my, like, real childhood system was N64. And, like, I, yeah, I mean, we've talked about our favorite games on the past. We go around Nintendo.com and search and look through our, our, our extras for Flashback Volume 3. We mentioned our favorite games. Yeah. Mine are Star Fox 64 and Smash. Yours, if I remember correctly, were Diddy Kong and Diddy Kong Racing and Yoshi's Story. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. But,. Even beyond that, there's just so many good memories. Like, well, how did you? So, when did you get your N64? Your and Elvis's? Um, we got it around the winter that it came out. Oh, you had it like back in '96, '97. Yeah, Elvis. Um, yeah, we got it. Yeah, that that first Christmas. That oh, also oh, like really '96. So you've had it for 20 years as of December. Wow. Because yep. I didn't get mine till '98. '96. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, that means Elvis was three years old when he got it. Oh, yeah, three. 96, 97, three or four. I, I I remember him being four. Right. So I think it was ninety seven. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah. So what what games did you get with it? Do you remember? Um, I mean, we got it at Costco, so it came with a controller and Mario Kart. Oh, that was ninety seven for sure then. Yeah. Oh, I guess we got it a year later then. I guess because ninety six, I think I don't remember when Mario Kart came out, but I feel like it was not at launch because that launch was literally Pilot Wings and Super Mario sixty four and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I remember when it came out, like what time of the year but i remember we got it for christmas right and yeah we had mario kart with it and we didn't get super mario 64 until a little bit later so for right. the most part, it was just a lot of mario kart and just, i mean it was really good that it came with both controls but that was always his console and you know i mean him being like four years old probably, yeah but probably didn't want to share it that much at that time so. right right so me playing it was definitely sparingly but then it, then he became older and understanding of friendship and yeah, companionship and, 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 and siblingship. <laughs> yeah, then he only let me play and then he didn't really let his sister play it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, for me, I... I and mean, then he I, got older and then, oh, it's all good. Right, right. And now you guys share everything, such as that PS4. Oh, right no, there. no, with, well, specifically with my sister. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I remember I got mine in 64, I think, yeah, it was 98. I got it for my birthday when I was turning nine. And I, <laughs> I distinctly remember, so I, I used to go to like, it wasn't exactly a daycare, but as an only child, my parents were like, maybe you'd be bored at home, we're going to take you, I guess it's kind of a daycare, but for kids that weren't like really little. So it's like, you go here, they have video games and stuff, you can go hang out. 
So I played like Mario Kart there and Mario 64 there. So I didn't get, when I got my N64, I did not get the typical like first games. Like I went and got, I like I had a list. I was like, I'm getting Yoshi Story. I'm getting Diddy Kong Racing because I already played Mario Kart. Well, why not Diddy Kong Racing? Like they had it at the daycare place too, but I was like, no, no. I mean, I've played Mario Kart there. I haven't played as much Diddy Kong. I'll buy Diddy Kong. And then I also got Star Fox, which I knew I wanted, or I think I knew I wanted. I don't remember. And then I didn't know what to get for a fourth game. My parents were like, we'll get you four games. That seems like a nice variety. So we're in the store, and then the employee at GameStop, or Software Sarah at the time, was like, hey, have you heard of this GoldenEye game? It's rare. And I was like, oh, it's rare? He's like, yeah, it's a, ra- it's, it's a rare game. And I was like, uh, and I like looked at my dad, I'm like, I, I mean, it, we like James Bond, and it, it's rare. It's rare. How many people are going to buy it? It's rare. <laughs> so I got the game, booted up, and it's like, rare. And it had the little Rareware logo spin by. I'm like, oh, it's a rare game. Oh, it ended up being a game that me and my dad used to play all the time. Like, he doesn't play very many video games, but with me, he would always play GoldenEye. Oh. And he would also play a lot of uh, the GameCube James Bond as well when I was a little older, just to carry the tradition. But yeah, so I have a lot of memories. Even though I went and played that as my top game, and even though I never got past the first level or the first multiplayer map because I just wasn't good at it as a kid. I couldn't, like, the first-person shooter thing just didn't. Even though it was only one stick, it wasn't dual stick, it somehow didn't click with me, but I really liked playing it, it was really fun to play with my dad, and I think that's what was cool about the N64 for me personally, is like, I wasn't necessarily the best at the games, I wasn't necessarily very far in the games, but you know, I'd play GoldenEye a ton and love it, I'd play Diddy Kong and just as a kid have fun driving around the world where Taj hangs out, I didn't even have to go do the races, I could just drive around and be like, oh now I'm in a plane, now I'm in a car. Smash Bros, when that came out in 99, I was playing that every single morning before school for over a year. Like, I just have all these memories of random things about the N64 that I feel like, yeah, GameCube, I remember specific games and playing them, like, with the intention of being them. Or, like, Wii, I remember the social aspects of everyone coming over in high school or college or coming to my door in college and we'd play Wii Sports or Smash Bros. Brawl or whatever. And Wii U, obviously, here at your place, we play a lot of that. But, like, the memories are just, like, pure, like, I'm just doing something in a game. Like, the N64 is, like, the purest of that, I feel like. At least for me. Probably because of my age. But that's like a special, like, weird little capsule time in my gaming life that I don't think will ever be recreated because I wasn't as, like, mission-driven or, like, I didn't have goals when playing. I was just playing. I would literally, before Smash at one point, I used to, instead of playing Smash every morning, I would play Wave Race 64 every morning. Wooden Race would go into practice mode and just do tricks. I used to rent Rush 2, uh, San Francisco Rush 2. Wouldn't ever race. We're going to the stunt mode and play for hours. I would just keep getting high scores or trying to get high scores, which is a bit more goal achieving. But I wouldn't even care what the score was. It's just like, oh, that that trick gets me the high score. I'm going to try and do that trick just to see if I could pull it off. And I keep trying and trying. And as a little like eight year old, nine year old, ten year old, whatever, I'd like do fake narration as I was playing, of like as if it was an announcer. Like I got super into it as a kid, and like because you know when you're, this sounds so depressing. When you're an only child, you're not playing a game with someone else yeah, most of the time, Mario so you Party narrate stuff. yourself. Mario Party, I was super into. I used to play that before school sometimes. But yeah, like Peachy. there's this whole yeah, there's this whole um, oh yeah, I used to have snide comments to Peach. Yeah, that's right. As like a ten year old or eleven year old, I'd be like, oh, "That's peachy." Whenever she did something, it was like, but it's like it was like this weird, like pure form of gaming that like it didn't interacting with it was all I needed. I didn't need to achieve anything; it didn't matter. And that's something not so much the N sixty four itself, but me at that age that really made that possible. It's funny like, how different your experience was to mine. Because for me, it was always um, we rarely we rarely played a game like 
by ourselves. Even if it was a one player game, we would always play together. Like my brother and I. Like, well, I didn't have the option. No, no, I know. That, no, that's why. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, like when we played Super Mario sixty four, we would always like pass on control. Like, all right, this is your world. All right, I'll take care of this world. Right. So we just like trade off like that. And um, I feel like that's how most people are. And like, obviously, when friends came over, I'd play with friends. Or like, we did that with Paper Mario. My friend bought Paper Mario, and I never owned Paper Mario, the original. But we did the passing the controller thing for like. I think we did it over the course of three weekends and beat the game or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I never take credit as being the game because I only did half of it. But uh, yeah, like we we've, we've done that. But like, and we had like yeah, a, and we had a we had a cousin that had Mario Party two because we didn't have Mario Party two at the time. The best Mario Party, just for the record. And um, whenever he would come over and bring the game, it was like oh like oh not the party because he would like do we would have like sleepovers essentially. We would just sure. play the game until night and we would play with all four people. Right. Because he would bring his other two controllers so. When we were able to use all four, it felt, like, really special. Like, man, we could find people with four people. It's just so awesome. Yeah. I don't know. That was I mean, really... I, 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 I mean, it's not like I never had those experiences. Obviously, when I was with friends, we did that, too. Right. But I feel like the stuff that really resonated with me to this day and to this day is just the, like, care, like, the carefree interaction that, as I got older, you don't do that with games. If I, as a 27-year-old, was like, I'm just going to try and ride a dolphin and wave race for three hours which you could do in the stunt practice mode i don't think i'd a have the patience or b ever do that just i would not do that i'd be like i have things to do in life but as a kid just that pure like yeah let's, let's do it i just do it because what else am i doing alone mm-hmm. at home oh, you're good yeah but and i mean the lineup was good like it had a really good lineup if you look back on it. i mean it was the machine that had the most rare games i mentioned goldeneye but like banjo kazooie was great oh yeah uh jet force gemini i rented never owned but i liked it banjo tui i didn't like as much as kazooie um day kong racing i loved but yeah like the n64 was the only nintendo system that was that like much of a rareware machine it is rare at it's, it's like absolute peak as pinnacle was n64 i mean what was your favorite rare game if you had to pick one for me, it was Banjo-Kazooie, definitely. I mean, I guess it would be Banjo-Kazooie, but I didn't even, like, beat that until, like, I went to Santa Barbara, because um, we didn't get it when it came out. Oh, okay. And my brother got the 64 copy, I think, when he was in high school, so he got to play it after the fact. Right. Um, I guess it would just be Diddy Kong Racing, because we didn't play, um, we would, I, we never really cared to get GoldenEye, because... We, didn't, we weren't really yeah, fans we of shooters. 007. No, not, not shooters. Just, we just uh, didn't care for James Bond. Sure. And, yeah, I guess, um, I don't know. I guess it would just be Diddy Kong Racing. It was a really good game. I liked it a I lot. I don't think we played a lot of rare games on XA4. We didn't play Donkey Kong really? on 64 until way after the fact. See, for me, a rare game was a major like, event. Like, rare games were more of a thing in Super... Actually, it was really just Donkey Kong. We didn't really care. Because on, on Super Nintendo, they only had the country games. Donkey Kong Yeah, country. after that, um, I don't think we really got any other ones but yeah like rare games maybe because like so i i think diddy kong racing is the only rare game we actually bought wow interesting all the other ones we got like after the fact just because i don't know it wasn't donkey kong i guess yeah because we're, 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 we're kind of picky for for nintendo rare was significant because they filled gaps in the lineup pretty well like, oh it also helped that um because of how much we played we were only allowed to get like one game every few months if not once uh, a month so we had to be very picky with what game we got so, yeah. I, uh, so, so that definitely helped. 
as a spoiled only child, no, not I everyone can get every release that comes out. So. Well, as a spoiled only child, not only did I get every release, but there are times that like I think I went and got like I had to get like a cavity filled for the first time or something, and or something, something with bra- oh no, it was my braces. I'd get braces put on. My mom's like, you did such a good job with that. Like you know what? Let's go buy two N sixty four games. And I had no idea what to buy, wow. so I ended up with some weird games like Gex, which was actually really fun. I'll get to that in a minute though. But uh, like games I never would expect. I think I had. Like, I'm not trying to, like, flaunt it or anything, but I do think I had, like, 50 was all said and done. 5 0 yeah. <laughs> over however many years. But, like, because my parents knew, like, I could just sit there for hours and then just and play. Alone. <laughs> basically. But, and also, we did live in Montana where everything was significantly cheaper, so it wasn't that big of an expense. Like, if we, I'm sure if we tried to do that here in California, I'd be like, that's a lot of money to put into games that you're only playing, like, half of. But, like, out of Montana, there's no property, or there's no sales tax. Property tax is dirt cheap, so, like, Things that seem expensive to most folk are less so over there, which is kind of nice. Um, but more of the point, I was starting to say Rare. Yeah, Rare was like I – was, I, I was introduced to the concept of Rare as like this star developer. Not so much – even though I had the GoldenEye moment and I had Day Kong. I feel like Banjo-Kazooie was the thing where I realized like, oh, Rare is like a thing that actually matters in a real way. Because I remember my very first Nintendo Power that I actually bought on a newsstand in a supermarket was the Banjo-Kazooie issue. Because I had Banjo-Kazooie and I wanted, like, tips for something. So I bought the issue. Or I was excited for Banjo-Kazooie or something like that. And then I subscribed to Nintendo Power, I think, like, three months later. And then, of course, they'd be hyping up every Rare release. So I was like, oh, Rare's, like, a big deal. So Jet Force Gemini was a big thing to me. I never actually owned it, but I rented it a lot. Don Kong Country was a huge... Or Don Kong 64, I mean, was a huge one. Banjo-Tooie... For some reason, just didn't click with me. Uh, but yeah, there's like a period there where like a rare release was a huge deal in my life, and I'm not entirely sure why, considering I didn't buy half of them. But it's still like it still did that. But in addition to rare, I mentioned weird games like Gex. Was it just me, or was the N64 also like it had some quirky stuff? Yeah. Space Station, uh, Silicon. What was that? The Space Station one, Silicon Valley Station, Space Space Station mm-hmm. Valley. You don't know what I'm talking about? What? There's a game. Huh? There's a game. Do you remember Tonic Trouble? Well, I'm buying time. Uh, that sounds familiar, but no. No, it does not. I'm trying to remember. I like the Rugrats game. That's ah, it wasn't crazy. Space Station Silicon Valley was an N64 game. Never heard of it. You played a dog. It looked like this. I know people can't see this in the recording. Oh, definitely never played that. Yeah, it was like a thing. It was weird. It was an N64 exclusive um, oh, I also had Blast Corps early on, speaking of rare games. That was one I never understood as a kid. And even to this day, I don't fully understand how it works. But I, I should go back and revisit. But, um, yeah, like Space Station Silicon Valley was weird. Um, Tonic Trouble was kind of crazy. There was Glover, where you were literally platforming oh, yeah. as just a hand on a ball. Like, there was some quirky stuff, mostly platforms. But, like, N64, like, half of those were exclusive. Like, it was... It was an interesting time. They had like Vigilante Eight, which was also on PlayStation. That was really fun. Oh, yeah. that but was a, Gex, a Twisted Metal, yeah, it's yeah. Twisted Metal, and they actually had a sequel. They had mm-hmm. two of them. I rented that a lot. Um, but I feel like the my favorite of the like kind of weird games is probably Gex. Which did you ever play Gex sixty four? Enter the we, Oh, you have it? No, we don't have it. But oh. um, we rented it a lot. It's um, really fun. I think I actually played it. I remember mostly playing it on PlayStation. Yes, it originally was on PlayStation. It was called Gex Enter the Gecko. And then they brought it to N64 where it was just called Gex 64. And they added a level and removed three hidden things. Is this like a movie parody or genre parody thing? I feel like it sort of was the first in my... Because I love self-referential 
like I the, the, like, the Looney Tunes world, and yes. he does like what's up, Doc, or stuff. Like yeah. That. So the so modern Jason, adult Jason, was really into self, is really into like fourth wall humor and self referential things, and like Community and Thirty Rock, and those are shows that are aware of their shows to some extent, or at least poke at the industry. And I feel like Gex in some way instilled that in me because Gex, like he said, it parodied. It was a third person platformer, like everything was, but it parodied. Um, there was like a hunt, different genres. Yeah, there really was like well. a horror place. Yeah, there's or... a horror place. There's a Looney Tunes place. There's a Star Wars thing where he was dressed like a Jedi. He had these snarky Dana Gould, the comedian, was actually the voice of Gex. Fun fact: the N64 one had fewer sound bites than the PlayStation one because they couldn't fit him on the cartridge, mm. but the disc obviously could. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was like sort of. It was kind of like it had like the attitude that like Sega liked to pretend Sonic had back in the Genesis days. Like it had that kind of like, oh look at me, I'm so wise guy and snarky and. But, like, as a, I think at that point, it was like 12, and as a 12, it's like, ha, ah, this is, or 11. It's like, oh man, this is funny, and, or this is cool, or whatever. But it's actually a solid game, and you, like, could wear different costumes that give you different abilities, and there are all these different genre spoofs, like you said. And in the end, it was, of course, like every platform, you collect collectibles. Like, there are like 120 you had to get over the course of the game. But it was fun, and it, it like, it had boss, you know, it was a typical platform, and it had boss fight stuff, but the personality is just something you don't really see in N64 games. So it kind of stuck out to me, and it was kind of weird. Like, a gecko who's James Bond who dresses as other TV tropes. Yeah. But it was a good game. And, like, and N64 also had some of the worst games, like Superman, which I did rent and I did play. And I did beat the first level. That's as far as I got because I got fed up. But, yeah, it was... And, of course, you know, I'm not even mentioning things that were just kind of bizarre but really cool, like Pokemon Snap. Like, who thought that would be a good idea but it turned out to be a great idea? Or then on the other end of the spectrum, hey, you Pikachu, who thought that would be a good idea? And it turned out to be a pretty meh idea. Concept wise, super cool. Talk to Pikachu. Execution wise, did not work so well. Yeah, mini games of Pokemon Stadium. Yeah, Pokemon Stadium's mini games were great. That's one of the other things my dice played with me was Pokemon Stadium mini games. But, but yeah, the point is, it had a really cool variety of games. And I feel like we, before we wrap up, one thing we should also mention is the N64 itself had, like, to me at least, had this really weird, like, chunky, clunky charm to it. And there's this big hunk of plastic that's weirdly sculpted. Its controller was weird. There, oh, one other game, Tetrisphere. If you haven't played Tetrisphere, I don't think it's on a virtual console, but go look it up. It's Tetris in 3D on a ball. You have to spin around. That's another game he's played with my dad, and it was really, really funny. You get power-ups that like nuke your uh, opponent's planet to mess up their Tetrisphering and whatnot. It's really good. Nintendo, I believe, actually published it. Or had a hand in it in some way. But anyway, the the reason I meant that, what made me think about that is it like the N64 had such that a weird controller, like the three-prong thing. Like for Tetrisphere, you had to use the D-pad and the button, so you held the two outer prongs. For most other games, you held the middle and the right prong, and the left prong just kind of sat there. And it was like, it's honestly a very clunky design. But like something about it just is kind of like, it, it embodies the N64, because the N64 itself was kind of weird. Like, oh, you want to save a game, half the games require you to put in an expansion pack, or a uh, controller pack with a save thing. Oh, you want Rumble for Star Fox? Well, put this giant clunky thing on the bottom of your controller. Oh, you need to play Donkey Kong Perfect Dark, Majora's Mask, or any number of other games? Well, you have to actually open the top of your system, take out a literal chunk of RAM, and put in an expansion pack, which is a bigger chunk of RAM that has a little red thing on top, so you know it's different. Like, it was like a modular system, which doesn't exist anymore. You don't mm. have that clunkiness. The GameCube had like a bunch of ports on the bottom, but... It was only used like, for the Game Boy Player yeah. and the LAN adapter, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was like left over from the N64. Nintendo thought, oh, we could just do it again, but it didn't really ever do it. But like the controller add-ons, like it was definitely... I think they had... Yeah, they had the add-on you plug into the controller upside down your Pokemon cartridge for Pokemon Stadium so you could transfer things. Do you remember that? 
you could also play the game on the TV. Right? Yeah, yeah, but it's just like it's such a it's like a very modular thing that just doesn't gaming doesn't have that anymore. And there's something kind of it's the nostalgia for sure, but there's something kind of charming about that like clunkiness. So for me, that's another thing that I kind of like about the N64, and it was very durable. Even though you're popping things out like crazy, I still have mine. 18 years later, hooked up to my TV, ready to go at any moment. I turn it on, it works fine. Everything works fine. There are no issues. Like, it's impressive. It's something that modern tech doesn't do because disk drives ruin things or whatever. Like, my Wii, if I turn on my Wii, it makes the weirdest grinding sound. Like, it really yeah. sounds like someone's, like, crunching a can inside it or something. Like, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, my Wii definitely does that, too. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's just... Everything we discussed this far with the N64, I feel like it's more, like, personal. At least especially for me because I was going on a whole, ta- a whole rant. But I feel like the N64 is unique and that is the one Nintendo console or one of a few Nintendo consoles that you can do, draw through line through Nintendo's history up to just about now. And it's still – the significance of what the N64 did for Nintendo is still both good and bad, still completely relevant today. If you look at every Zelda up to Breath of the Wild, which isn't even out yet, even Skyward Sword, even though they diverted a little, they all follow that path that the N64's Ocarina of Time created. That template. The N64 is Nintendo's jump into 3D, and everything they did, to some extent, lives on one way or yeah, another now. Galaxy, Mario Sunshine. Exactly, are uh, all Mario 64 evolutions. Uh, 3D Land and World, you could argue, reel it back a little, almost more to what Mario 64 originally was, where they were like self-contained worlds that were kind of more boxed in. Like, literally, Mario 64, you had fences that blocked you from going places, and it was very boxed in. Um, or at least some of the levels were. I'm thinking of like the floating ones, like the the, the mountain well, with I mean, the penguin, the snow what mountain. Galaxy and Sunshine were. That's I mean, true. They were still self-contained. Yeah. The only difference with 3D was that now you have point A to point B. Right, which is kind and of what 64 was. 64 was half the levels. Which ones? The only ones that were point A to point B were the Bowser ones. Oh, that's true. Yeah, never mind. You're right. You're right. I just played the game recently. So yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. We talked about it last episode. But yeah, so like 64, its legacy lives on completely. In terms of like what a 3D Mario is, Zelda, what a 3D Zelda is up until Breath of the Wild. Um, if you look at like how GoldenEye shaped what first-person shooters are in general, granted they're now twin-stick, but the idea that you could have a console first-person shooter was not a thing until Nintendo was like, hey, here's GoldenEye. Also, look at this. We have analog controls. That's something that doesn't exist yet. Force feedback in games is still a major thing. Obviously, a lot of these innovations could happen without the N64, but it was the N64 that did it, and you still see it today. Like, even if you go through the Wii, like, you mentioned Mario Galaxy, or, like, we me- I mentioned Skyward Sword. Like, the Wii was a totally different paradigm of control, but the roots of what those games, the roots that, or the foundation those games were, were built on, that foundation was made on the N64. The N64 was that moment where it happened. Like, the lasting legacy, I guess, of the N64, 20 years later, is still it's still just as relevant. Its design paradigms and whatnot are still what drive so many games today. And you could say, sure, that, like, Super Nintendo and NES, some of their design things live on, like Metroidvania games or side-going platformers, yes. But I feel like a lot of, like, how Grand Theft Auto turned from Grand Theft Auto 2, which was top-down, to Grand Theft Auto 3, which was basically a Mario camera, like, those things came out of, in a way, the N64. Rockstar cut their teeth when they were a different name, making Space Station Silicon Valley on N64, making games on N64 that are more kid-friendly. And then they went into Grand Theft Auto 3, which borrowed a lot of what they learned from what the N64 could do. Like, that thing, it's a little biased, I admit, but that thing, I feel like, really shaped a lot of what gaming is today. And that's something lots of consoles can't say. Wii, you could even say, you can't say that for. Because, yes, the Wii led to the Kinect, it led to PlayStation Move. But, 
Connect has fallen to the wayside. PlayStation Move is now strictly a thing for VR, which would have been innovated on separately. It's the the it's very you, the N sixty four is very unique, and unfortunately, some of the bad sides of the N sixty four came with it as well. Namely, Nintendo's third party trouble started with N sixty four, and that's a lasting problem they've had ever since. I mean. The reason third parties dropped support for N64 is because of the cartridges. Nintendo went through this weird proprietary method that's more expensive. Why not use a disc? They said it was for durability. And truthfully, it, those games are more durable. I bet you more N64 cartridges out there work better than more PlayStation discs these days. PlayStation 1 discs. But, yeah, that was Heck, the even start. PS2 or PS3 yeah, discs. exactly. But that was the start of Nintendo's third-party troubles. Third parties were kind of there. They had the Dream Team when they announced it as the Ultra 64. It's like, oh, we have these 12 developers. It's going to be great. They came out with their games, and then they all just kind of faded away. And it's been a thing Nintendo struggled with. Like, the fact that we had to highlight that Ubisoft was pro-NX. I don't think a Sony podcast is ever like, hey, did you hear that EA is pro-PlayStation VR? Like, it's just like, yes, of course they are, because you're PlayStation. So it's it's a little it's a bit of a downside to the N64 that they got the ball rolling for this issue. And Nintendo still didn't learn their lesson. Like, GameCube still had proprietary formats. It was just mini-discs. But, like, that was a, another thing from the N64 that Nintendo still is carrying to this day. It wasn't just good game design. It was also bad third-party relations. So, for better or worse, the N64, at least to me, was the Nintendo system that really shaped how it's been ever since. And I don't know if NX is going to be the thing that resets it in the way the N64 did after Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I doubt it, but... Yeah, it's not like it's not very often a thing like that comes along. So N sixty four is cool. It's special. It's for me personally, it's a big deal. But I feel like for Nintendo, it was a very big deal. Is there? I think it's like their last big powerhouse system because the GameCube only matched the specs of Xbox. The Wii was the GameCube. The Wii U just matched PS three, PS four. N sixty four was double the PlayStation sixty four bit. Hence the name. That was the last time they were really at the forefront of the tech, and they leveraged it in some unique ways. You could argue motion controls are at the forefront of a different type of tech, but in terms of raw power and what you can do in the transition from 2D to 3D, that was a very unique position Intel was in. And they clearly used it well, because here we are 20 years later with so many games inspired by it. So that's my 20 minutes of two cents on the N64 and memories right. and stuff, and some of yours too. But like, it's just it's, it's a significant system for me, and I think for Nintendo. So just let it take a little bit, because it's not every day your, your childhood system turns 20, which means you're old. But, well, uh, I mean, yeah, so every day turns any age. Exactly. That's true. It's only once a year, in fact. We just need to celebrate the, the, the ones milestones. That happened, yeah. yeah. But, yes, yeah, so that pretty much does it for this episode, I guess. Unless there's anything else you want to add about M64. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> You're like, Jason, you said way more than anyone wanted to hear. <laughs> just, just, just wrap it up. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks' time with no N64, uh, homages I'm, I'm sorry for those who want more uh we're gonna be back <laughs> i don't know who you are or why you would want more but if you do there are full websites you can go to but yeah um we'll be back on sunday october 16th as we always are with the latest news and impressions and we may we're not sure yet if nintendo's gonna be at indiecade but if they are and if time works out we may try and swing by there and talk about some upcoming indie games we shall see the only way you'll know is if you tune in so uh sunday october 16th best way to make sure you don't miss it you can subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice if you use itunes we'd appreciate a review that gives us some more exposure um if you don't use itunes nothing's stopping you from making an apple id and giving us a review i'm just saying uh alternatively you can also uh, follow us on twitter at ram nintendo you can follow me and angel individually if you'd like i am jsr7 on twitter angel is wero w-e-r-r-o underscore o um, I think that just about does it. So if you haven't busted out your N64 lately, I think now's a good time to do it. 
You have two weeks. Or wait for Nintendo to make the Nintendo Classic 64. Or wait for the Mini Classic 64, yeah. yeah. Sounds like a plan. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah.